This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. Let's kick off even by lighting up, boy. From my friends, the star of the show. Oi, oi. I spoke to a radio broadcaster famous here in New York, WABC, Sid Rosenberg. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. 77 WABC. Well, 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 well. Anthony Weiner, yours truly, Curtis Sliwa, James Brown, Godfather of Soul, Soul Brother Number One, living in America. Take it to the bridge. Now tell me, uh, Anthony, as we substitute for Sid Rosenberg, who will be back tomorrow, same time, same place. Uh, did you take the um, the city bike here today? I did. You can you can you can go bowling on the streets of New York today. Empty this morning. Well, I took uh, the subway, and I got to tell you, I took the subway yesterday home at night, and I ended up smelling like weed when I got out of the car. <laughs> and this morning, I said, "Oh no!" I walked into one car, and it's like whoever had been there, like maybe a half hour, the smell of weed just per- permeated yeah, the, the atmosphere. The doors open up. Cloud comes out on the platform. It, but it's everywhere now. Even on a day like today where there's very few people around, it's just New York City has become, most places you go, you can smell it. It's it's like it just hangs. It's totally. like a purple haze. It's to- and it's so strange because everyone said, okay, you're going to have legalized pot. It's going to be the same people smoking. It's not a whole bunch of extra people. But now what's happening is people feel at liberty, it seems, to smoke it everywhere, like they're just chewing gum. You walk down, I mean, the streets in my neighborhood, you know, I, I think I told you this story. We were walking by an incense dealer, one of these Rastafarian incense guys on 14th Street. I'm walking home from school with Jordan, my 11-year-old. And he says, Dad, is that marijuana? I said, no, but when we when I we smell it, I'll let you know, you know, so you know. I mean, he and I are a very honest relationship. We're talking. In a half a block, I said, yeah, Jordan, that's it. Uh, actually, that's it, too. That's it. And then we're walking behind a guy, and it's it's everywhere. I, I really think this is one of the – this, for all of the things that people talk about that were kind of things that we should have measured twice before we cut, this one was – this was a mistake, the way we kind of leaned so heavily into the idea of letting this be everywhere. And so on a day where most retail establishments are shut, locked, they're not going to open at all today, the one things that are open, the weed shops, you know, with their fluorescent light – their marijuana leaf, you know, right in the window. And you say to yourself, these are not difficult to find. They're not difficult to raid. They're not difficult to close. Why don't you just let the local police departments handle this? It's so easy. Out of the precinct, they'll know which retail establishments are illegally selling weed. Because there's only like nine in the city They're now illegal, that sell it yeah. legally. And just give them the authority to padlock and seize. And then- I don't understand. I don't understand. You know, it's funny. I saw one of these. I guess it was the state police or the state marijuana authority or something was doing a, a, a stop. 
And I went up to the guys outside in their vests and badges, and I said, I don't understand if possession is still in large amounts is still a violation of the law, and if intent to sell is still a violation of the law, why can't a neighborhood beat cop arrest somebody? Everyone seems to agree, oh, no, you can't do that. You've got to seize. You've got to go to business services. You've got to go to tax and finance. It still should be a crime. I, I'm not 100% sure that everyone is not just wrong about that, that the cops still can do it, but they're washing their hands of it because they want to leave someone else to do it. I mean, the, you're exactly right. You walk in, in my neighborhood in the East Village. They have their product selection and prices in the window. Yeah. There's no effort to hide this at all. Yeah, and they also let you know where the product is from. So, for instance, yeah. a legal shop, of which there are a few in New York State now, Although Jersey, once again, Anthony, has done it so much better. You know, instead of us being so pompous, arrogant, obstinate, you know, we think New York does it better. No cash bail. You know, Jersey has no cash bail. Except they leave it in the final end for a judge in black regal robes to make the decision. Is this accused person a danger to society? Are they a danger to themselves? Or are they a flight risk? You know, those three parameters. Uh, here, we decided, unlike all the other states in the nation, we would not allow the judge to make that decision. And all we had to do at the time, Cuomo and the legislature, is look at what even Chris Christie had to do in the last days of his governorship. He was crying, kicking, and screaming because this has been put through by Corazine, and he had to implement it. Jersey's done it so much better. There have been some problems with the sale of legal weed. But they've done it so much better, a better rollout, and they're not always just waiting for individuals who have run afoul of the law, and now you're going to give them an opportunity to get licensed. You could put them into a mix, like a lottery, but get it up and operating so you can generate some tax revenue. I guess so. I mean, But that's when the thing, one, I, I think the elected officials in our town, mostly Democrats, wildly misunderstand where citizens are on this thing. I don't care what your politics are. You want a certain you. I don't think I don't think even the most progressive person who lives in the most progressive parts. And, you know, I live in the East Village. That's sure. I basically, you know, about as progressive as you're going to get. I don't think people like living in that in that environment. But you're right. They kind of they saw the dollar signs. You remember when they opened that first store? I guess it was on St. Mark's. Every politician under the sun, the mayor wasn't there, but every politician under the sun taking selfies, posting on Instagram, me with my gummies. And I was thinking, so maybe I have not been in politics for a while. That seemed to me like such getting so far out over your skis. I would think of like Mrs. Mrs. Crapalucci on Avenue P. How is she viewing this? She might not be obsessed about, you know, the war on drugs anymore, but she still kind of wants to see some semblance of order. I, I mean, it's 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 really out of control. Also, right you had huge crowds for the grand opening and no uniform cops. So I spotted some DTs up the block. Nancy was with me because I was doing some filming there that we posted here at WABC. And I looked at the DTs, you know, who are from the, um, um, I believe it was the 6th Precinct. And I said, where are the uniform guys? No, no, they didn't want uniform guys out here. I said, this is not a crowd. It's not like in the middle of the summer of George Floyd, like Black Lives Matter, where all of a sudden they're, it's going to be a riot. It's a peaceful crowd, but normally you have some uniformed cops wherever you have a crowd. No, that's the orders from headquarters. Then you walk over to Washington Square Park where it's like uh, a sook. The guys and gals, they have tables, and it's in a semicircle. 
and they're selling openly and they're dropping the price so that if you, Anthony Weiner, you're, you're testing the product. You get to test the product. Yeah, you told me that. You can literally try a little bit? Right. And then if one group is offering you a price, it's just like in the old days, you know, with vegetables and fruits, you know how you knock down the price <laughs> by the end of the day. You can almost get it for nothing because it'll spoil. They compete with one another. Say, hey, hey, buddy, I can sell it to you $5 less. Then all of a sudden, they can be, you talk about capitalism, and they're there every day. So there's no attempt to move them out. There's no attempt to close the illegal pop-up weed shops in the area. You go to Tompkins Square Park, that's where you used to have the Pope of Greenwich Village. This guy, I used to live right there, Avenue A in St. Mark's, 131 Avenue A. I walk out, this baldish Jewish guy, tall guy, with gnarly knees, he'd always be wearing uh, shorts, just like Rico Radabali today, the worst shorts I've ever seen. He'd sit there in Tompkins Square Park, take orders. People would come up. Then he'd go to a storefront two blocks away. There'd be all these English races in there, and there'd be young men, young women who would deliver it before there was Grubhub. Right. This was being done openly, boldly. The ninth precinct there was on well, the tape. Well, you say openly and boldly, but no. I mean, in a way, they were trying to make sure that there was some arm's length distance and everything else. There was a little bit of subterfuge. Now there's none of that going on. By the way, I have a theory about this. Could it be that the mayor and says, "This is I want to I want to make the state own this problem. I want no part of this problem. Let's leave it up to the state. I'm going to blame Hochul. I'm going to blame the legislature. But I got to say, I, I all the time say to the neighborhood beat cop, because, you know, Right on Target on Avenue A and East 14th Street, there's always a – there's a fixed post there now. That's how they're stopping shoplifting, by literally keeping a, a couple of cops right there. And I go up to the guys. I say, listen, four doors down, there's an illegal place that's right next to a daycare center on 14th Street. And they're like, we're on we're on instructions not, not to touch it, not to go in. We have nothing to call the – you know, they even had the number for me. They said, here, this is my like, – obviously, they've been asked this before, the Marijuana Control Board or whatever it's called – I think it could just be that the, the mayor says this is going to be Hochul's problem, but I think it reflects badly on the city. Well, badly on the city, but more importantly, it now causes there to be this bureaucratic maze, as you had described. This agency has to come first. Then it's this agency. Then it's this agency. Then we go after the landlords because they're the most vulnerable. It's very easy to understand. The Yemenites have become very good at this. They're excellent businessmen and women. They run bodegas in some of the hardest neighborhoods to run a bodega in. So they go to the landlord and they say, look, as a result of COVID-19, the lockdown, you have some empty storefronts. You know me, my family, because it's always a family business. Tell you what, cash on a monthly basis, we open up a smoke shop. They call it a smoke shop, tobacco shop. And we just pay it on a monthly basis. Look, if they padlock us, if we're out of business, so be it. And every one of these Yemenite businesses is an LLC, which means you can't really determine who the real owners of the place are. They become very sophisticated. So you say to yourself, okay, you got the layers of bureaucracy. Then you have the sheriff's department. And I bet you they're smart enough not to keep too much product on hand physically in oh, the exactly. building. It's probably around the corner. If someone comes in with a big order, they go around the corner and get it, that kind of thing. So exactly. Even, yeah. So the point is, is they're so far ahead of enforcement. They're so far ahead. The intention was, let's legalize it to tax it, because there's billions of dollars there. 
that are going into the pockets of organized crime, of street uh, crime, of people who are like individual right, entrepreneurs. Also, you protect, you protect the quality and you have some standards and everything else, right? Yeah, but also the quality. You take a guy like Diego, right? Diego goes into one of these weed shops and right away he goes, you know, I want California, man, Humboldt County. And in the legal shop says we can only sell New York State home product. And you look at all the potheads. And they're like New York State product. This is not like a wine. Yeah, but but hold on a second. How do you? How does anyone know? You can't tell from look. Can you tell from looking at it? Well, the connoisseurs can. You know, like the oh, the yeah. wine tasters, they can tell that the pot connoisseurs. They look at the buds. This has become very very sophisticated. They have the cannabis bowl in Amsterdam, in which they bring different grades, different. Uh, threads uh, of marijuana, the way they grow it now hydroponically, and they have contests. I mean, it, it it's very state-of-the-art, and it's ahead of law enforcement. Right, and then you've got the other problem that the business is done with bags of cash, right, because you can't put the money into a, a, into a bank because it's still a violation of federal banking laws. It's still a violation of federal law to transport it over state lines. So you've got a little bit of probably unreported crime that's going on around this. Every well, once in a got, while, you got the stick-up kids well, who right. watch. They clock the number of customers who come in. They know it's all cash. You can't use a debit card, as you mentioned, a credit card. I think they're starting to figure out a way to use debit cards. But yeah, I mean, I, the, the 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 point is that it's. I mean, and let's remember something. This was progressive Democrats and libertarian Republicans both yes. kind of were on this bandwagon sure. at the same time. Um, I'm not saying that the, that the, that it's completely doomed, but I can tell you that right now, as we sit here, you're right. They're the only shops that are open, and it is just taken on kind of a lawlessness that is. On the other hand, you know, never mind that. And I got I got stopped by a cop uh, yesterday on my bike for blowing a red light. That's what cops are. Oh, oh did they write you up? To, you they know, actually, they got the quota. They actually didn't. I talked the guy out of it. Uh, I, I told him I was uh, I was mentally d- uh, disabled from working a. You, you're reckless, uh, <laughs> reckless uh, city bike uh, rider. And, I was, and the, the cop didn't seem so thrilled to be on this shift to be you know writing tickets to bikes going through intersections. Um, but there is a certain sense of the lawlessness. I'm glad the mayor's on it with both boots. That's all I can say. Yeah, both boots. <laughs> Nothing's getting done by the state of the city. <laughs> again, I can't go more out of the way to once again say New Jersey does it better. If only we had said, look, they're ahead of us. They, they legalized it ahead of us. They came up with a formula that allows some of the new entrepreneurs who had problems in the past own shops, but they also understand you got to get some businessmen, no, businesswomen in we there. We copied other other cities and states. The problem is that we kind of made it pretty clear long before there was a single legal shop open, we were going to let guys operate as if everything was legal. Now I don't know how that decision was made or why. You and I were talking. Six months before the legal one came on, how you would go by Penn Station and guys would be on card tables just right there in the middle of selling like, you know, and in, selling cocaine too and shrooms. I mean, it's it's. I mean, it's. I mean, that's 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 why Diego was late every day because he had to stop at Penn Station yes, to yes. get going. <laughs> um, but the, I mean, but that was part of the problem. And like, they had the weed, the weed wagons. Right. I mean, could anything be more visual? This huge wagon rolling around. Like a big mitzvah tank for pirates. Right, right. Mitzvah <laughs> tanks. They get the green leaves on it. Marijuana forever. You know, the Grateful Dead. Jerry Garcia <clears throat> is selling all kinds of products. 
not just the smokable product, the edibles, the oils, the vapes. I mean, you name it, they're selling everything. There was one that I saw in Astoria, which probably per capita per person has more illegal weed shops. On Steinway, I counted five on one block, three on one side of the block, two on the other. And then two blocks away, I looked at a wagon. It looked like one of these burrito trucks, right? It was a weed wagon with an ATM machine strapped on the back. Yeah. So you could get your cash right there and then buy your weed. So we we have a guy that's been popping up that it looks like a, 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 a Chinese food food truck. Yes. And has all the lettering. It's kind of that evocative old Chinese kind of stylized American uh, in, English letters. And if you look carefully at the menu, they even call it a menu. If you look carefully at the menu, it's language, you know, like it's – and it, because you got to be a pothead to kind of understand what yes. they're selling. Yes. But they just do it right out there in the open. Yeah, they're kind of sure. like I said – they know the buds, they know the grades, they know where it was uh, grown. What they want, Americans want, and you see, this is what the city said in advance, is that, you know, they claim that they're selling California product from Humboldt County. It's tainted. We found metals in it. We found all kinds of chemicals. Fentanyl in it. is yeah, laced let, in it. Yeah. Let me tell you something. That's not going to stop people who are connoisseurs. They want California. It's like wines. I want a French wine. I want an Italian wine. I By want way, an Australian you know, wine. There's the other problem, like this whole idea, and we saw this Halloween, you know, fentanyl-colored you know, candies and things like that. No one wants to kill their customers. That's not happening. No. But, but I do want to say this on the health side of it. You know, I know, you know, I lost my brother, I lost my brother to, to drug addiction. You know, we don't know much about marijuana as a gateway drug. We don't know the long-term health and psycho effects of these things because, frankly, there hasn't been a great deal of research done on it. It's still a Schedule One narcotic, according to the federal government. So putting aside – to look at this just as a business thing or just as a quality of life thing, we also have no idea what kind of health ramifications. I know everyone talks about the positive health ramifications. Oh, you know, PTSD and other things, and I don't dispute those. But on the other side, what we don't know about the effects of, of marijuana could fill a book. Well – you know it's a growing problem because for years you'd be on a subway and you would see advertisements from Columbia University. If you have a heroin problem, please contact us. We're doing a study. You know, we have a federal grant, long-term effects of heroin use. We're going to help you get off the drug. Now it's all marijuana. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's all marijuana. That's how you know it has become What was supposed to be so good in adding tax revenue to the coffers has become a situation in which a purple haze has descended over the city with all of the the orange glow occasionally coming from Canada and the particulate. Pick your poison. Poison is there from Canada. Or the purple or, haze from or, the pot shops. Or, or just, just wait for the doors to open on the J train, standing on the platform and breathe deeply as the smoke wafts out. Well, you know, coming up, we got to discuss a number of things. The shoplifting, I had no idea, and I thought I was Mr. McGruff, the crime-fighting dog. There are 90,000 packages a day stolen in New York City. I know the porch pirates were at it, but I didn't know 90,000 packages a day that are delivered get snatched up by porch pirates just in the five boroughs alone. As we continue, it's Anthony Weiner, yours truly, Curtis Lewis, Sid Rosenberg. will be back tomorrow, same time, same place. It's Independence Day, so get out there and have a birthday for America.
This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. Entertaining and informative. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. You know, I thought, Anthony Weiner, that I had my finger on the pulse of everything happening crime-wise in the five boroughs, and even to some extent in our surrounding tri-state area. Now, I was uh, broadcasting about porch pirates when the phenomenon first came about. Men and women get in the truck, you know, they pick up packages sometimes at the airport, and they sort it out at some kind of a facility. It could be... uh, uh, Fed Express could be United States Postal Service could be UPS and naturally Amazon because they're everywhere with their trucks and then they go about delivering the packages in the suburbs you know the truck goes up and down blocks and they're dropping off packages sometimes right on the porch in the city they have to try to get access in many instances to the vestibule of apartment buildings Sometimes that's not the easiest in the world. In the building I live in, it's an old tenement. Sometimes I see when I walk in, there are packages that are outside the second door. Because, you know, it's that second door that prevents people from coming in unless somebody buzzes you in. Right. And all of a sudden, I leave, and I come back, and the packages are gone. And I'm assuming that they've been picked up by the tenants who live in the eight floors above. It turns out 90,000 packages a day in the five boroughs, 90,000 are stolen. And you say to yourself, well, this is a feeder system for crime because there are no arrests. Uh, You report your package stolen. And generally, the package provider, whoever the product was, they just send you new product. They suck it up as part of business. It's sort of like, you know, used to be built into the retail sale uh, for shoplifting when it wasn't overwhelming. You know, it would be like 2% in-store theft of your own employees or management. Right. Now, how do you make up for 90,000 packages? You're sucking it up. Not on the consumer's end, because the consumer would get pissed off and would not be ordering any longer, but the businesses themselves that sell it and then use a package provider to deliver it, they're actually sucking up the cost of that loss. Well, I mean, there's a couple of pieces here. You know, what has changed in the last few years is now, since it's so difficult with parking and so difficult to bring the shipping, so like the final mile, as they call it, is now you see they'll dump at the corner in a neighborhood all these packages, and then a whole bunch of guys with bikes, a whole bunch of guys with hand carts will come and divvy it up and deliver it into the neighborhood. There's a lot of places that this stuff can disappear. I mean, the story seems a little bit odd, 33 million packages annually. Really? That seems like – I mean, look, I I, I agree with you. It, it seems – Way easier to pick pot, to, to pick that off than it is to even oh, shop. Oh, it's so easy. It's, it's an easy thing to do. I mean, I, I, it seems like the city's got a solution for this. With all the empty, sh- empty storefronts that there are in the outer boroughs, why doesn't Amazon just go rent some of these storefronts and just make them package places for themselves? Well, especially in Manhattan. It's a ghost town. 
uh, a lot of these retail stores, you go block after block, and they're covered in uh, sort of brown paper. Remember, when when you were low budget in school, you used to get brown butcher paper to cover your books. When you had a few more shekels, a few more coin, you know, you would get like the, yeah. the Mickey Mouse, the Disney, whatever, the Superman. But you knew the low budget kids who didn't have the money because their books were covered in brown butcher paper. Right. At least that's the way it was in my house. They were actually, they would do a, a cut up bag from Bohack. They, right. they cut it up. But now you pass these storefronts and they're not going to be leased or rented for quite some time. Except for pot shops. Right. And then you see the brown butcher paper covering everything. You can't even look in because they don't want you looking in because, God forbid, you may try to break in and maybe set up a squat. But the point is 90000 a day. That just encourages more and more crime. And this is what they do. They stay in their car. And let's say you're the FedEx guy, Anthony. You got a route. Uh, you got that little thing in your hand, you know, that handheld computer. Scanner, yeah. And you you drop off your packages, and then they just follow you out, and they'll go, and they won't they won't get greedy. They'll take two packages, walk away. So it looks like, oh, maybe they're the delivery guy. Sometimes they actually have the vests. They purchase the vests at flea markets. They sell the vests without the name on it. So it looks like an Amazon vest, or it looks like a FedEx, uh, you know, uniform, or it looks like a brownie uniform, although Lemigra also has brown uniforms. So it could be your immigration naturalization service, or you're a UPS delivery guy. The point is, this talk about zero tolerance. This just encourages more and more crime. And by the way, when you're in the suburbs, if you're driving around and you go on somebody's porch, and you look at the mail, and the mail hasn't been picked up for a while. You say, you know, this might be a place we want to come back to and do a home invasion. Because look. Well, that's that's always. But, you know, at least in the suburbs, now you get a $99 Nest camera, and you're videotaping everything. There's making. I just kind of think this might be a business for someone to go take these storefronts and market them to go to UPS and go to FedEx and say, listen, you guys each pitch in 50%. I'll open a little shop here with a counter. And and we'll we'll have and I think there are there are um, there are businesses that are doing that. Well, you know, Nancy has a brilliant idea because she rescues uh, cats from the shelter before they get euthanized. She said, "Curtis, look at all these empty storefronts. If you put the dogs and cats in the storefront, you know how people are. Like for instance, you'd be walking along and Jordan would look at this little puppy and the puppy would look at Jordan, Daddy, 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 could I? No, 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 Jordan, you know. And then all of a sudden." Daddy, daddy, you finally go back there and you would adopt the little puppy or the, or the kitten. It's a brilliant idea because there's so much empty retail space and the city could well afford, you know, setting up these adoption centers where you can look. Look, this is what puppy mills have done for years. They put the little puppies in the window. The puppies are gone by the end of the day because people see it. They fall in love with the puppies. The next thing you know, the puppy is at home. And it's copping a squat, and they haven't been properly potty trained, and you're wondering, did I make a mistake? And they're not going to take it back, and all of that. Anyway, up next, Oi. this is Sid and Friends in the Morning. Friends, how many of us have Shiver in the dark, it's raining in the park. But meantime, 
And this is the time for Sit On Sports, sponsored by Peerless Boilers, the world's best-built boilers. Harrison Bader, three-run home run in the eighth. Yankees rally to beat the Orioles. Mets were not in action. And the Rangers roll out Jonathan Quick, the goalie that beat him in 2014 Stanley Cup, as their backup goalie for the league minimum. Now, quick note about Bader, who came on like a phenom last year. I think he, we got him from St. Louis, the Yankees did. You know, he lives in Westchester with his mom. He's a real mama Luke. His mother is his agent. He comes from a very wealthy family. I don't know if it's Mamaronek, Larchmont, Scarsdale, Armonk, maybe even Chappaqua. But he comes from an extraordinarily wealthy family, which is a rarity, you know, when, you, when you're when dealing with professional sports. And his mother is the agent, and he's a real mama Luke. He lives at home. Yeah. Well, uh, listen, if you're if you're a New York guy, it is kind of unusual. You hear the opposite story all the time. This guy came from dirt poor. Baseball was his way out. You don't usually hear people growing up in like Scarsdale, like uh, going to the major leagues. But right, well, but like, there you, go. You, you mentioned just the other day, Bobby Bonilla is still getting paid by the New York Mets half a lifetime later. Sweetheart deal negotiated. By his wife. Yeah. His wife was his agent. He still gets paid how much a year to sit about, on his took About his, $1.2 million. He in gets his, every July 1st. In his mansion in Stamford, Connecticut. Now, he's truly South Bronx guy. Grew up in the South yep. Bronx. Went to play the Pittsburgh Pirates with uh, Bonds at that time. Did really well. Came to New York. It was like homecoming. Just never really delivered uh, in New York City. But it's also, you know, you can give him credit for doing a shrewd deal or you can also point out the Wilpons only did that deal because they were convinced they were going to make so much more with Bernie Madoff, and it was more about the hubris of the Wilpons in doing that. Well, I call them the Wilponsies because they and others got sucked into that. But the interesting thing is, when I think Bobby Bonilla, you know what I think of? He's sitting there playing cards with probably one of the greatest left fielders of all time, very eccentric. For the Yankees, the Oakland A's, New York Mets. And that's the day, remember, Bobby Valentine comes out into the dugout and he has that fake mustache yeah. on. That was bizarre. Ricky Henderson, remember? Henderson, they were playing yeah. cards. I think it was extra innings against the Arizona Diamondbacks, something like that. And here's Bobby Valentine coming out in the dugout with a fake mustache on. By the way, speaking of Stanford... Well, I was running for mayor in New York City and losing to Eric Adams. He's the favorite son uh, of Stanford, and he lost there running for mayor. Yeah, well, then, then there's the other funny story about Ricky Henderson when he joins the Mets, and he's playing with, uh, you know, John Olerud, their first baseman, used to wear a batting helmet out into the field. It was yes. one of his idiosyncrasies. And the Ricky Henderson, when he gets to the Mets, goes over to, you know, I used to play with a guy who wore a helmet out in the field. John Older says, that was me. We played together for six years. <laughs> <laughs> and he played for the Newark Bears, Ricky Henderson. That's right. That's right. That stadium across from the old Lincoln Motel that was built by Corey Booker. What a disaster. I think they had to take the wrecking ball to it. He played. And, you know, people don't realize Ricky Henderson was buffed. You could, you could tell this guy was a brick. He was a total vegetarian. He would eat a bag of tomatoes. And a bag of lettuce every day. So you go to his locker, bag of tomatoes, bag of lettuce. And look at that. Now, one of the greatest ball players well, of all time. And also to bring it a, a full circle, 
You know, the rain, the, 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 the Yankees win on a Harrison Bader home run, which is great, except that's the only way they score runs. To think back how Ricky Henderson, when he got on the base paths, it was like five minutes of excitement. Yes. You, you, you just knew he was going to go. The, the whole building knew he was going to run. And you watch the pitcher, you watch the catcher, try to figure out how to stop, how to hold him on. That type of baseball doesn't really happen well, when, when much anymore. Two other players in my lifetime that had that effect. Probably the greatest because at that time the Dodgers were punching Judy. They had really no power hitters. This is back when Sandy Koufax, Stan Judge, Maury Wills. Maury Wills would get on first base and then the team that they were playing would have a heart attack because you knew he was going to try to steal second, steal third. Uh, and if there was some inept throw made, he'd end up circling the bases without there ever being a hit. You know, he, he knew how to work the count. It's like Ron Hunt of the old New York Mets would blouse up his jersey to purposely get hit in order to get on first. And the other guy was Lou Brock of the St. Louis Cardinals. He got on first base. The dynamics changed because you knew he was going to steal second, try to steal third, and maybe come all the way home. And it could change the whole dynamic of a game. Now, the player that I remember most for being like that was Vince Coleman. Vince Coleman, St. Louis, later on with the Mets – it was that kind of like just, and I don't, I, I know there's been a lot of effort this year to speed up games to make them more exciting, more interesting, and that's great. But we are still, there's still a league where it's home runs and strikeouts all the time. I just wish we can get back to the time when like base running was a thing. Well, going way back before you were birthed, I went, my first game was not at Yankee Stadium. My first game was the old Polo Grounds, 1962. The Mets had just come into existence. Casey Stengel was the manager. You talk about me mangling the English language with my spoonerisms, malaprops, or Yogi Berra. Casey Stengel was the absolute master extraordinaire. So he's the manager of the New York Mets. Remember, he had been a failed manager for years, and then he was hired by the Yankees, and he won World Series after World Series with a great lineup. But he would do a press conference and he'd go on and on, and nobody understood what the hell he was talking about. So he was perfect for the Mets. And what they would do on the sidelines was play Pepper before the game, right? which was amazing because it showed dexterity. They would do tricks like the Harlem Globetrotters would do tricks with the basketball. And they were really good and very entertaining. Then all of a sudden, the next year, they have... No Pepper. No Pepper. What that? Why? Well, for, how about for a kid like me... Who didn't know that one of the earliest questions I remember asking my dad of blessed memory, I would say, what the heck is this? No pepper. What do they have against pepper? What are you going to use salt there? I don't get it. I had no idea what it was until I started playing ball Oh, myself. but it would be entertaining. The other thing is you'd hit July 4th, guaranteed whoever was at home, whether it was the Yankees or Mets, doubleheader. Right. July 4th, doubleheader. You were going to get real value. You and not were... a day night with a two ticket one. No, you no, you no, sat no. there for a long time. So as a kid, because it was affordable, and remember, we could disappear out of the house. There were no cell phones. You know, just make sure you're home by late at night. You know, there was no way for your parents to stay in touch with you. So you and your, your buddies would head off. You'd have the brown bag lunch. Now they don't let you bring any food into the stadiums yeah. because God forbid. You get a hot dog, you know, it's microscopic. It costs you a reverse mortgage. You come with your brown bag lunch. You would have batting practice before the first game. Then you would get a game. Then between the games, there'd be batting practice for all the scrubs who didn't play in the first game. 
And, you know, there was the potential that you could catch a foul ball or if you were sitting out in the cheap seats, the real cheap seats, 50 cents, especially with the SGO card, student government organization card, <laughs> could get it for 50 cents. You had a double header, and it didn't cost you anything. What was the name of the milk company that used to, you can clip the back of the milk cartons and cash them in for a bleacher? Dairy Le- I think Elmwood. Might have was been it Elmwood? Elmwood? Yeah, anyway, they actually had dairies in New York City where you could visit, like in yeah, Jamaica. Out, out, yeah, out in Queens. But you, th- that was the other thing I remember. I remember, I remember clipping the car. Was it Dairy Lee? It was, it was one of these, or Delwood. Could have been Delwood. Yeah, right. it was like, and you could, you can, you know, I collect 10 of them and get a, 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 a bleacher seat ticket, that kind of thing. Um, but nowadays when they do a doubleheader, they're almost always, a rescheduling of a, of a game that they blew through for weather reasons or something like that, and they're always day-night split tickets. Yeah, kind of and that means, uh, okay, game's over. Get the hell out of here. We got a new crowd yeah. coming in in a few hours. But there used to be value. July 4th, doubleheader. That was like... That was an eight-hour day. Right. Mom, apple pie, the flag. Like, see, at Shea Stadium, you would have the Phillies come in. You know, the Phillies would come in against the, the, the Mets. Natural enemies, right? I mean, you know... Yankees might have the Red Sox in. You know, you didn't have a scrub team like Kansas City. You know, your Red Sox a doubleheader. Well, the other thing is they would use, I don't know, 15 players. They didn't want to blow through their whole line. So, so they would, they would try to get that first pitcher through to, through to the end. They'd have a couple of guys, you know, usually the catcher would, would sub and that would be about it. But they didn't want to blow their whole lineup. On these, you know, fifteen, eleven kind of games. So you would, they would, they would hang in there. If the game got ugly, it would stay ugly. Well, no, there was a time when Dick Allen, he was a great ball player for the Phillies and St. Louis Cardinals. He could hit home runs like unbelievable. But he was a degenerate gambler, like uh, Mick the Quick, uh, who played uh, center field. Mickey Rivers, a degenerate gambler. You know, he always had the racing form right, in his right, background. Right. So Dick Allen lands in JFK. They got a double header. At Shea Stadium. It wasn't on July 4th. And he passes Aqueduct on his way, you know, because he's going to go up to Van Wick to Shea Stadium. He goes, oh, I could get in a few races. <laughs> the manager is asked, where's Dick Allen? He was uh, the superstar. He was spotted at Aqueduct today. He missed both <laughs> games of the doubleheader. And they asked Dick Allen. He goes, well... You know, I saw the ponies, and I saw that they had a racing schedule, so I decided to play a few races. And before you know it, I was there for the whole card. He missed both games <laughs> of the doubleheader because he was a degenerate gambler. But anyway, we got to talk about coming up the brand-new interim police commissioner, Eddie Caban of the city of New York. And why is it he's labeled interim when... I support him being police commissioner, which is unusual. I'm normally opposed to anything that Eric Adams does. Bodito is in favor of him. A lot of people are. But then there's a whole group of people from the old guard who do not want to see Eddie Also, Kaban. we should touch on our pro baseball, how we know what he, what team he's a fan of now. We should talk about that a little oh, bit Oh, absolutely. Also. What a mistake. What a faux pas that was. Anthony Weiner, yours truly, Curtis Lewis, substituting for Sid Rosenberg. He'll be back same time, same place, tomorrow. Go on out and celebrate America's birthday. Sid and Friends in the Morning, 77 WABC. Uh, 
Oh, you know what happened on this date in 1997? Anthony Weiner, historian of uh, New York City lore. Rudy Giuliani delivered on a campaign promise to the victor go the spoils, right? To the people who support candidates, there's an anticipation that you'll be first in the queue to get benefits from the person that you went out and voted for. This has been the history of politics nationally, uh, statewide, and obviously citywide. So Rudy, the second time around, had a very grueling uh, match against David Dinkins, the sitting mayor, just barely beat him, and many attributed to the fact that Guy Malinari, his mentor, who was the borough president, before that was a congressman, and he had put on the ballot, you know, for initiative and referendum, secession. Staten Island wanted to leave and become the 51st state. They, they, they wanted to get the hell out of here. But that brought out an additional vote, obviously mostly white, white ethnic, and it propelled Rudy Giuliani to victory, bare minimum. He lost originally by 2%, and he won by the bare minimum, even though the city was in dire shape. So what do you do for the group of people that put you over the top? You deliver on promises. There were two things that Rudy did and Guy Molinari. First thing they said it would never happen is they closed the Fresh Kills dump, the largest open-air depository of garbage in the world. It was said, I don't think this is actually true, that you can only see two man-made objects from space. One is the Great Wall of China, and the other was the Fresh Kills uh, um, dump. It was the largest dump. It would grow the stink uh, David Dinkins went one time, he got out of his SUV, he was with Arnie Segura, who was his aide-de-camp, yeah. the police intel. The smell was so overwhelming. I'll never forget, Arnie Segura told me the story. He goes, Curtis, the smell was so overwhelming, it drove us back into the SUV. And David Dinkins said, from now on, if we come to Staten Island, let's avoid the dump. You couldn't avoid it. It was everywhere. Phil Rosillo would tell me a story. Phil and I got along in the latter part of his career. He goes, you know, Curtis, when I'm going home to Hillside, because he lived in Hillside next to Newark and Elizabeth, you have to go down the New Jersey Turnpike. When you when you pass Newark Airport, it's considered Cancer Alley. You know, you have all the petrochemical plants. You had the Hess refinery. And I'd say, well, how did you deal with this smell, Phil? He goes, oh, that's swamp gas. I said, Phil, that's the smell of the garbage over at Fresh Kills on the other side of the Arthur Kill, Kill Van Because, you know, in that area of Staten Island, you could almost reach out and touch Jersey. The smell was overwhelming. So Rudy Giuliani fulfilled two promises along with Guy Molinari. One close to dump. And I really think I want to make this a campaign. See if you will join me. I grew up near the dump along Canarsie on the Bell Parkway. Spring Creek dump. It was closed. It's now a state park, and it's named in honor of the great congresswoman, Shirley Chisholm, who's the first woman ever to run for the presidency on on a Democratic uh, primary. She was a great woman. Right. Far from where she represented, but that's another story. Right, but big billboard, Shirley Chisholm State Park. Come on. It's a state park, Fresh Kills. It's closed. Okay, methane is still seeping up in some parts. Very dangerous gas. But it's now, people like to go up there, ride their bicycles, walk around. It's nice. You get to see all of New Jersey. And by in the, the way, when they proposed this, we all laughed at yep. the idea they were going to make this a park. It was the, it was the subject of late night jokes. Now we all realize that if there's one place in New York City where they venerate Rudy Giuliani, I mean, he is like, 
is idolatry. It's that in Italy, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Why not name that Rudy Giuliani State Park? Have a little statue of him there, right? As you go on, your bird watching. Bird watchers love that place, you know. And I, I remember seeing you in your bird watching garb, <laughs> Anthony Weiner. That was a different vibe. That's right. That, that was Jamaica Bay. Jamaica Bay. There you were. Whoop a woo. You had on your safari hat, your shorts, your binoculars. You were in the Jamaica Bay federal, uh, uh, federal parkland area. What the hell were you doing there? Were you actually I, looking no, for I was, birds? I was promoting. We got federal funds to open a nice bird watching welcome center there in the park. You 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 mock me, but off of Cross Bay Boulevard down there, where the center is now, just before you get to to Broad Channel, go heading south. You see all these rental cars, all these people coming from all around the world. Right. It's an amazing place. Something like half of all the bird species in all of North America stopped there at you least know, one time. My wife, Nancy, the animal lover, her nickname is Lone Wolf One. You know, you had the super moon that just took place. Nancy, where are you going? I got to go in the Central Park. She's like baying to the moon. It's a super moon. And you know, the battle in Central Park is between the bird watchers and the dog walkers. I can't tell you how many times I've had to break up disputes. The most famous one was the Karen incident. You remember the Karen incident? Yeah. But there are disputes like that all the time. You got all these bird watches. You're right. They travel from great distances. You say, oh, my God, we're look at a spotted owl. If we're looking for the yeah, spotted yeah. owl, right. and, and, and that's that's They're out there doing all that stuff. And, and I, you know, I put my little hat on them. I got my... I was kind of taking the piss. You had the safari. I was, I was kind of making a little bit of fun. And then I'm out there and people are like, Oh, you're one of us. Like they're giving me the secret handshake. It's like a tribe. It's very tribal. (laughs) But it, it, Jamaica Bay, beautiful for bird watching. It really is. But why not? Let us begin a campaign. Look, you get fresh kills dumped. There's nothing, no sign and nothing. The state park named in honor of Rudy Giuliani put a statue there. And people can venerate him there. I think that's the least we Listen, can do for Listen, I tell you, the, the, the Knapp Street dump is the perfect analogy. You would drive by that all the time. You know, like, this is the bane of Brooklyn here. It's the, it's the tuchus of Brooklyn. It's, it's a horrible dump. And when they proposed they were going to cap it, and they did this whole process for doing it that we scoffed at at the time. Now you go by there, and by the way, you know, the rolling hills, that's garbage underneath there, okay? So there's no reason why they can't do it in Staten Island. Well, a little surprised. In Far Rockaway, it used to be a dump. You have a dump, right, fresh right, kills. Right. On. But anyway, the point is the second major um, uh, edict that Rudy and Guy Molinari did to reward the citizenry that elected uh, Rudy in Staten Island was on this state. In 1997, you never had to pay for the Staten Island Ferry again, whether you were a tourist. And, boy, is that a great opportunity. At no money, you get to see the Statue of Liberty on one side, Ellis Island, Governor's Island. You go to the North Shore, Staten Island, you come back. No money. Nobody pays any money whatsoever. So he delivered on the two promises. And this would have been the summer going into his reelection, right? Yes. Right. Yeah. And then... You have the schmuck to parts Pete Davidson, king of Staten Island, who has vacated. You know, he moved out of the basement of his mother's. Then he had the condo on the North Shore of Staten Island. Then he gave that up. Then he went to Brooklyn Heights. Now he's in Beverly Hills crashing into buildings with women who think, oh, man, I got to be with this guy, Pete Davidson. Again, he's got all kinds of drug issues, other personal issues. And you know what his biggest beef is? 
They robbed me. They ripped me off. Me and my partner from Saturday Night Live, we bought a 57-year-old Staten Island Ferry. Jost, what do you mean? They don't have it anymore? Yeah, but it's rat-infested, cockroach-infested. They took it to a chop shop in Staten Island. They started to cut it up like an old ship in Bangladesh outside of Dhaka where they sell it for scrap. Again, Pete Davidson says, I used to be king of Staten Island, but I've had it. I'm out of there. And that's going to lead us in later on. We're going to talk about the Prince of Staten Island, Vinny Madunio, who does the music show here on the weekends. And the biggest Mameluke of all, before there was Pete Davidson, there was Frank Morano, the Mameluke. He used to live in his mother's basement. And, you know, one time he's walking the dog. That was his job. And he used to love smoking Cohiba cigars. Yeah. She comes into the house. He had to walk two blocks. And the freaking house went on fire. He burned down his mother's house. <laughs> and his mother forgave him. <laughs> Typical Italian-American mother, right? The son can do no wrong. It was the meant prince. to be. It was meant to be. The house burned down because Frank Morano, smoking his illegal Cuban cigar, the Cohiba, fell asleep. God, you know, two blocks walking the dog. And you know what his mother said? Don't worry, Frank. There's always another house somewhere. Handling legal matters is stressful. So, let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. Out somewhere. One more time to kill the This is New York's talk leader, the crown jewel of talk radio. WABC New York and 1071 WLIR Hampton Bays. News first at 59 past the hour. 77 WABC News starts now. 74 degrees, overcast skies on this Tuesday, July 4th. Good morning and happy Independence Day. I'm James Flippin. President Biden and First Lady Jill Biden, they'll host the annual 4th of July celebration on the South Lawn of the White House tonight. From there, they'll watch the Independence Day fireworks display over the National Mall. Meanwhile, it'll be 925 tonight along the East River where the Macy's annual fireworks show will be held here in New York City. Over 60,000 shells and effects will be fired from barges. Also on this Independence Day, the annual Nathan's Famous 4th of July hot dog eating contest will be held in Coney Island. The overwhelming favorite, Joey Chestnut, will try to break his own record of 76 hot dogs and buns eaten in 2021. I'm going to be sweating. It's not going to be pretty, but uh, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get those dogs down, and uh, I'll, I'll be making a run for the record. And on the women's side, eight-time champ Mickey Sudo will try and defend her title after eating 40 dogs and buns last year. You know, last year I was really disappointed with my own number, so let's send that 40 out of the water, pass a personal best of 48, and have it go for 50. And there's a $10,000 prize on the line for both the men and women's division. Contestants get 10 minutes to see how many dogs and buns they can cram down. At least nine Palestinians are dead after Israeli forces attacked an alleged terrorist base in the West Bank. Heavily armed Israeli troops storming into a building, exchanging fire with Palestinian gunmen, part of a massive Israeli military operation in the Palestinian city of Jenin. 
Earlier, Israel using armored bulldozers to clear away hidden bombs and calling in drone strikes in the occupied West Bank. At least nine Palestinians killed in the fighting, according to the Palestinian Health Ministry. The city's hospitals flooded with the wounded. And now let's get our WABC sports report from Ken Connolly. Well, thank you, James. Happy 4th of July, everybody. The Yankees came back to beat the Orioles last night 8-4 to in the Bronx. Anthony Volpe started the postgame fireworks celebration off early, sparking the comeback in the 5th. Yes Network picked up the action of this solo blast. That one's driven deep to left field. Going back, hits. Turning, looking, see ya. Home run, Volpe. Yankees on the board, it's 3-1-0s. The Bombers go for round two against the Birds this afternoon. That's a 105 start. Clark Schmidt takes the ball. As for the Metropolitans, they begin a two-game set against the Diamondbacks in Arizona this evening. First pitch, 4-10. Kodai Sanga takes the hill. In some trade news, the Mets bolstered their bullpen, acquiring pitcher Trevor Gott from the Seattle Mariners in exchange for lefty pitcher Zach Muckenhern. In order for the deal to go through, the Mets also had to pick up the roughly $4 million that was owed to pitcher Chris Flexen. Here with your sports update, I'm Ken Connolly on Talk Radio 77 WABC. And your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Showers and thunderstorms likely today. Humid conditions, 85 the high. Later tonight, more rain giving way to clouds. The low near 70. Tomorrow, mostly sunny, topping out at 88. Thursday, more sun getting up to 89. Curtis Sliwa and Anthony Weiner in for Sid Rosenberg this morning on Sid and Friends in the Morning. But right now, a look at traffic and transit with Lori Blanchard. From the Ray Katina Porsche traffic desk, we are seeing delays in the Bronx coming down the Major Deegan toward the GWB. The GWB is doing okay both ways, though. There is an accident on the Grand Concourse in the Bronx at East Burnside Avenue, one lane block there. In New Jersey, the Turnpike northbound truck lanes north of exit 12, there's an overturned truck. On the island, a crash on the northbound Wontaw Parkway at the ramp to the northern state. In Rockland County, southbound Palisades, accident exit 11. The New York State Thruway crash southbound at 287. Alternate side suspended today. Transit is running on weekend and holiday schedules. This report sponsored by Ray Katina Porsche in Edison. Experience the unmistakable luxury of a 2023 Porsche Macan. Lease for $899 a month for 39 months at Ray Katina Porsche in Edison. $899 due at signing to qualified buyers. Tax, licensing, registration fees extra. Details at RayKatinaPorsche.com. I'm Lori Blanchard, Talk Radio 77 WABC. Kelly. I have a feeling his long and colorful past is catching up to him. And I do not believe he will be the mayor for an entire term. That is my hope, at least. Weekday afternoons from 1 to 3. Before Rudy Giuliani. On on your radio. Always entertaining, you guys. On the 77 WABC app. And on all your devices. Play 77 WABC. The 77 WABC mobile app. Download it now. Hey, it's Bo Deedle. You know me from IMUS, Fox News, and now WABC Radio. I've been in business for over 38 years after retiring as a detective from the NYPD. Crime rates are going up. People are in fear. So the need for personal security is at an all-time high. If you need a bodyguard, Bo Deedle Associates can get you one on or on arm with former law enforcement officers that are fully trained. Let my 38 years of experience work for you. We've been providing security to individuals, families, and businesses, and corporations to make sure you and your loved 
loved ones are protected. We are not only one of the top firms in the tri-state area, but we're also one of the top firms in the world. We specialize in investigative services, due diligence, and background check, so you know who you're dealing with. We do investigations locally and internationally. We get results. Remember, 38 years of business. Call Bo Deedle Associates at 212-557-3334 or go to my website, investigations.com. That's investigations with an S.com. Phone number again, 212-557-3334. Talk Radio 77. WABC. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. Oh, no, I get by with a little help from my friends. Let's kick off even by lighting up. Oi! From my friends. The star of the show. Oi! Oi! I spoke to a radio broadcaster famous here in New York, WABC, Sid Rosenberg. Oi! This Oi! is Sid and Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. 77 WABC. Friends in the morning. This was Sid on Sports, sponsored by Peerless Boilers, the world's best boiler. The Mets still stink. They're like eight games below five hundred. Whatever I said, the the curse of George, of uh, George Santos, who came out opening day for the Mets. This guy never followed baseball before in his life. He lies about everything, and he did a video that went viral of him throwing on a throwback Mike Piazza Italian stallion jersey. And he was screaming, if you can find that. But you got it? You got it? Okay. Let's go Mets. I mean, in the worst way, you knew he was not a Mets fan. This is hard to listen to. Hey, guys. Today is opening day. As a good old Mets fan, I know you guys aren't going to be playing until April 6th back home. But in good old fashion, let's go Mets. That's not the way. It's not. It's let's go Mets. I mean, by the way, I got to tell you, I am now a believer that that was where the beginning of the end began. We have the exact. Well, we have the exact same team with a better starting rotation. I'm sure we lost Diaz. It's a great team. It's a great team on paper. It's an absolutely great team. There are curses. Now, this is my suggestion to your owner, Steve Cohen, who spends a lot of money. He's a fan favorite because he knows no there are no boundaries to his spending. Like Steinbrenner used even, to be. Even the trade they made yesterday, they 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 took on a dog contract in order to to, to get the, the reliever that right. they got. But yesterday. if he would approach George Santos and say, "Look." You're in desperate need of money. You were just in federal court the other day the in Central Iceland. You had a veteran outside whose dog died as a result of the fake charity that George Santos had set up to scam money. By the money. way, did you see how far they kept protesters away yeah, from him? Yeah. I mean, you, you, when you get booked down here at, 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 at the Southern District of New York, believe me, I know, they're right up in your face. Right. Anyway, go it's ahead. Ridiculous. But anyway, the point being is the poor veteran guy was crying over the death of his dog. I mean, you know... You can kill a human being, and, you know, some people say, ah, you kill a dog, right? That's <laughs> no, it for you. That's it. We're done. So what Steve Cohen should do is say, look, how about I give you some money, and you do a video, and you burn the Mike Piazza throwback Italian no, stallion. No, that doesn't do it. We need him to go and do an Atlanta Braves tomahawk chop. That's the only way you're going to lift okay, this Okay, I'll, I'll buy that. That's right. The tomahawk chop. 
Uh, and you know, go back, throwback, in honor of Jimmy Carter. Yeah, wear, wear like a John Rocker jersey or By something. By the way, like Jimmy Carter's been in hospice longer than anybody True. I've ever known. Normally they announce you're in hospice. Unfortunately, then it's sort of like maybe two weeks to max. Jimmy Carter, lifelong Atlanta Braves fan, he and his, his, uh, wife, you know, they would do the chop chop with right. Ted Turner and Jane Fonda. I'll never forget 96 Yankees versus Braves. Right. I was doing the post, post, post game show. Shut up, John Sterling, and let me talk. But anyway, the point being is, he's still alive. Yeah. He has he's not. He's literally 99, I think. Right. But he's, he's been in hospice right. for how many months? He should, he should guess. And so is Rosalind now also. Yeah. Unfortunately, she's got the dementia. But Jimmy Carter, his problem was, and this is what happens when you get older, he was falling all the time and he didn't want to be in a wheelchair. You know, let's right. face it. Nobody wants to be in a wheelchair. And he kept falling and unfortunately fractured his arm. I mean, great guy outside of he the presidency. Was, he was a lousy president. But his post presidency was pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, you see, with with the woman he with with his only woman he ever married for about hundred years, he's doing Habitat for Humanity, not butting in every five minutes, living a quiet life in his hometown. Bible class, yeah, totally. he would teach. The yeah. only problem you have with him is virulently Ter- anti-Israel. Terrible on Israel. Worst president for Israel. Now, very quickly, we see the Israelis have launched an all-out attack. I think at Janine in the West Bank against the terrorists. I think they killed eight wounded others. Uh, they're in a mop-up operation. Naturally, the world is attacking them. This is uh, over the top. We seem to be stuck in this uh, vortex again, back and forth, back and forth. You've been in the forefront of this effort. You, against a lot of your own colleagues, you took a stand, you know, for Israel uh, when some of your colleagues would say, hey, come on, uh, Anthony, slow it down here. You know, he's like, you're, you're a Zionist extraordinaire. Where do you see this going? We were making progress under Trump. Unexpectedly, Kushner was making progress. I, I hated this kid, but he was making progress with all the Sunnis aligning them against the Shias in Iran, and that seems to have Well, no, I mean, no, but the problem is you say back and forth, that's really not fair about what's going on there. What's going on there is that there's continues to be disorder among the Palestinians. They continue not to be able to muster as much as people say, oh, if you just give them their own state, everything will be fine. Every time they have an opportunity to stand up one, whether it be the Palestinian Authority, you know, Mahmoud Abbas was feckless and couldn't get anything done. Whenever they have an opportunity, they seem to be opting for basically for terrorists. And and I get it. I get it. The Palestinians are being used as pawns. But I think what the under the Abraham Accords and what I think the other nations of the world. Remember, Israel is surrounded by 20 nations, with the exception of Egypt, that are at a declared state of war with her, have been ever since her creation in 1948. I think many of those countries started to say, hey. We are, we have been using the Palestinians as this rhetorical cudgel. Maybe it's better if we figure out a way to work together and for their own interests. I mean, the, the problem is the, the Palestinians will never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity. And it is, it's, it's terrible to say this. And once it, once these countries, Saudi Arabia chief among them says, you know what? We're, we, it, our real problem is Iran. Is the, is the, is the Shia crescent, not so much, um, Israel, which is what Israel's been saying forever. If you just leave us alone, and that's why the example of, of Egypt with the Camp David Accords was, you know, was the right one. That once, you know, Israel has said, if you want to make peace with us and work with us cooperatively, 
we'll be good neighbors with you. We're not looking. We don't have expansionist instincts or anything else like these other countries in the region do. And finally, they're, and finally they're, they're getting there. But that's not, that doesn't mean that places like Janin are not going to be used by the Palestinians among civilians to launch attacks on Israel. And that unfortunately is what's going on now. And was, oh, this is outrageous that the Palestinians are under attack. Look, the only reason why, why there's, there's any civilian casualties at all on the Palestinian side is that the terrorists, particularly Hamas, they use these apartment buildings as places to, to, to launch missiles off the roofs. And then they wonder why people are getting hurt. And the Israelis do everything possible to try to minimize those civilian casualties. They even drop leaflets and say, listen, we're going to retaliate against the terrorists in your basement. We're going to let you know. Um, but unfortunately, that's it. And, and, and I, you are not going to find a fiercer critic of Donald Trump anywhere on the dial than, than I am. However, when it comes to, to Israel, when it comes to moving the embassy from Tel Aviv to, to, to Jerusalem, where, where is, is Israel's capital, when it, it comes to trying to get these, these, um, these, uh, uh, Sunni countries aligned, they did a good job. Yeah, Kushner. Surprise, surprise. Even though Kushner is working in angle, let's face no, it. No, no, I understand. You know, I mean, the these, these was... guys, these guys had, they had secretaries of state that could be doing this. They had, a, you know, a more official envoys. And the minute Kushner gets out, he takes a few billion dollars in, in sovereign wealth fund money from the Saudis. But... but all that being said, I mean, I don't think that, like a lot of things, you know, I think when you try to figure out what Donald Trump truly believes, I don't think he has a strong, I think being a New York guy, he probably understood his Israel issues a little bit. But it was really, I think Kushner deserves some credit. And he also saw the politics of it. You know, the right wing of the, of the, of the Jewish community, strong Republicans now. Now 75, 80% are still Democrats, but still they, 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 they deserve credit for that. Um, but Israel, once again, it's this, you know, if it's so tit for tat, no, it's not really that. It's just the Palestinians attacking civilians in the, in, in, in Israel and Israel having to defend. Well, I've gone to Israel three times. First time for the 50th year of independence. I was able to actually go into the Gaza. I was being passed around like a torch <laughs> from people who originally were from Brooklyn and Queens who were doing Aliyah, who were Americans by birth, and decided to go live in Israel. So they were Americans. So, you know, I got along with them. Because you're typical Israelis. I got to tell you, the guys, man, it's like you have a conversation with them, very politically astute, but nasty. The women, fine, but the Israeli guys, uh, whether they're Ashkenazi or the Sephardic, argh, grumpy. The Americans were different. Hey, Curtis, hey, I remember seeing you on Ocean Park. So they're passing me around uh, all the West Bank communities. I went into the Gaza before it was closed off. Probably the scariest place that I was is the Tomb of Abraham, which is guarded by the Israeli Defense Forces, where 95% of the population are the Palestinians. Yeah. That was a scary place because it was ominous. You just knew that these particular Palestinians did not want any tourists. They did not want any of the Israelis. It was. And yet I went into other areas. Not a problem. Yeah. Well, you know, but here's the interesting thing. And, and, and I would frequently go on trips as a member of Congress and I would bring non-Jewish members of Congress there, you know, because a bunch of Jews getting going to Israel is not that interesting to me. But bringing my colleagues who didn't have as much experience. And the thing that they were always most impressed by is, you know, Jerusalem is throughout history has been batted back and forth like a tennis ball from, you know, from, 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 from whomever to whomever. And invariably the religious sites of whoever wasn't in control would be pillaged. Not with Israel. 
Israel protects the Christian holy sites. They protect the Muslim holy sites as if they are just as much a part of, of their culture as, as anything else because they recognize that's the responsibility. Well, this is what I saw. I go to the tomb of Rachel. It's right in the middle of a Palestinian enclave, right, protected by Israeli defense forces. And the observant Jews, uh, as part of their pilgrimage, they're going to a lot of Christians, a lot of evangelicals. So I walk through the town of Palestinians, and a guy comes out. He's got the Rutgers University Scarlet Knight uh, shirt on. Hey, Curtis. I said, what are you doing here? He goes, no, better. What, what are you doing here, <laughs> yeah, right? True. He invites me in the house. They had a little hummus. They got some goats outside having a conversation. I said, why did you decide to come back here? He goes, well, you know, I felt this was my roots. You know, people always want to go to where their roots are. But it's not what you think it is. When I went through Jericho, uh, Yasser Arafat at the time set up a casino. Israelis were going there and gambling with shekels. German tourists were there gambling. This was before the Second Intifada. Then the Second Intifada comes. I'm like the only one there with some evangelical Nigerians who were dressed all in green, you know, Christian Nigerians. The place was empty. It's like nobody there. Whereas normally very vibrant tourism, a lot of people travel to Israel, but it just, it's the size of New Jersey. It's yeah. like going from Hoboken to Camden. So you talk about where you, you felt the most kind of honest. I, I remember, I can't remember what war it was. They all blend together, but I went to the north, you know, up in the north in, in, in an occupied Lebanon, in Syria. It's Hezbollah. It's not Hamas. Yes. That's the much more direct Iranian pipeline of weapons. And I remember visiting the troops up there. And, uh, you know, doing a photo op of, of me with these. And I'm making small talk with this guy who's probably, he's 20 years old, if nothing. And, you know, and I say, um, I say, you know, if a, a missile is coming, do you get an air raid siren? He says, you know, do you hear the whizzing? No, you don't hear anything. It just blows you up. Like, and I'm like, what, you mean I'm not going to get any kind of warning when something's coming? No, that's kind of the way this works. Like, <laughs> you're close enough that it's just going to land at you. And I remember scrambling back to whatever Humvee they had me in and said, I got to get out of here. But it's a good reminder. It's a tiny little spit of land. Surround, you know, on the north, they've got terrorism. On the south, they've got terrorism. On the water, they've got terrorism oh, coming but in. The most beautiful. Oh, it's yeah. the end of my trip, always at the end of all three trips. I would be at a lot down yeah. where to one side you see Aqaba in Egypt. Uh, no, Sharm el Sheikh in Egypt, which is a lot of low budget hotels, so a lot of tourists like to stay there. Aqaba in Jordan. You know, I saw walking around Aqaba at that time. The prime minister, the former prime minister of uh, Great Britain, Tony Blair, he has a house down there. He's walking around and have a little conversation with him. And you see the tip of Saudi Arabia protruding into the Red Sea. And for me, they have these huge speakers in the Red Sea at night, and they're playing electronic dance music. Yeah, yeah, you love it. And I was on the beach doing uh, phone interviews with WABC back there with electronic dance music in the background. Oh, man, it was the best. I was looking for Yul Brenner chasing Charlton Heston through the Red Sea. I guess if I had done some shrooms, I would have seen that. <laughs> anyway, as we continue on, it's Anthony Weiner, yours truly, Curtis Lee. We're here. Happy birthday, America. Sid Rosenberg will be back same time, same place tomorrow. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. Entertaining and informative. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. 
man. Where'd you get this corny music This is the from? second morning in a row we played this. He Please. must have something. Please, are you getting kickbacks? You know, is this paid for play? Uh, God, I hate that song. Makes me nauseous. Well, is, isn't there some kind of law you have to play American music on this morning? Yeah, that's horrible. But anyway, wow. let's get into um, the latest controversy uh, that affects the police department in the city of New York. As we know, Sewell left, as of this past Friday, to a standing ovation. We don't know where she's going to end up. But the interim police commissioner, as announced by Eric Adams, the mayor, is a guy I've been promoting for the job, as has Bo Dito here at WABC, Eddie Caban. And uh, uh, I've known Eddie Caban for a long time through uh, Johnny Gunji Rivera. He used to be one of the great uh, party empresarios in New York City in the 80s, you know, when clubs were, like, blazing. He had grown up with Eddie uh, in Castle Hill, legitimately the Bronx, Eddie and his brother, uh, busted their shoes, worked their way up the ranks. Eddie Caban originally was a driver for Fernando Ferrer. Which is usually a fast track to somewhere. You gotta, you gotta really know how to play the inside game to and get that. The drivers know everything. Yeah. Remember, the drivers know everything. They, in fact, from time to time, because you're in the car with your driver, you say, Hey, Eddie, what do you think? You know, they want me to do this. You be friend. Bernie Carrick was the driver for Rudy in his campaign, the second one where he became mayor over Dinkins. That's how Rudy befriended Bernard Carrick. And it's worth noting, drivers come out of what's called the intel division because they want people that can keep secrets. That's the thing you want above all else. So in addition to his normal police duties, a lot of times you're doing this because you realize it's potentially a pathway to promotions within the police department because – Unlike the fire department, everything is not civil service. You know, the commissioner is appointed by the mayor and the fire department, but everything else is civil service. In the police department, I think it stops at deputy inspector, and then everything else is a political appointment. So he's out there. He's the driver for Fernando Ferrer. He was the driver for Eric Adams as borough president in Brooklyn. And then he was the driver for Eric Adams, the candidate in the Democratic primary and in his election against me. And I happen to have known Eddie, and from time to time I'd be saying, hey, you know, Eddie, I said, I want a Hispanic police commissioner because that's the minority majority between the Dominicans and the Puerto Ricans and the Mexicans and the Central Americans. Soon they'll be the majority, but they really love police work. That never happened, obviously. I lost. But Eddie Caban is as loyal to Eric Adams as anybody could be. He never, ever, in any kind of private, he would always praise Eric Adams. And he's been there for him through thick and thin. But, but, but maybe you're getting to this, but, you know, if you are a, a baseball manager and someone says they're the interim, that is a sign that you're walking on eggshells the whole time. What is the explanation, as you understand it, why Caban is, he was announced with great fanfare, but only as the interim? Right. What's your theory? Uh, my theory is that they have been auditioning Jessica Tish to also be the police commissioner. It's now come down to Eddie Caban and Jessica Tish. And remind everyone who she is. Uh, she's the sanitation commissioner, but she comes from the very wealthy Tish family. 
And uh, they were not always Democratic supporters. They actually contributed. Well, they've actually they've been they've been they divided up. Jimmy Tish was a big supporter of of, of uh, Schumer, for example. Other Tishes supported the Bushes. But she has some background in the police department. She she yeah, was intel in, in no. terms of uh, terrorism, anti-terrorism. I work. thought she was like a statistics person. That or too, something like analytics. That. But the old guard. So you look at Ray Kelly. You look at Bratton. You look at uh, John Miller. The old guard. They want Jessica Tish. Uh, Phil Banks, who is the real police commissioner. But remember, he was the unindicted co-conspirator when they were selling licenses for concealed weapon permits. He became a confidential informant and avoided getting arrested and prosecuted. He's really running the police department. That's why Sewell, basically, she agreed to that. You know, when she was being interviewed, right. we saw a police commissioner from uh, Seattle, the African-American woman, best. Uh, when she turned them down, she said, look, if I'm the police commissioner, I'm the police commissioner. I, I can't be going through layers, Phil Banks, yeah, the and, mayor. And past mayors have had criminal justice coordinators, but they were kind of big-picture policy people, not day-to-day exactly, people supervising. Exactly. So we know Phil Banks runs the day-to-day department. So his favorite is Jessica Tish. The mayor's favorite is Eddie Caban, because Eddie Caban has been extraordinarily loyal. For the mayor's benefit, if he is thinking politically, and this is always a political situation, uh, the Seawell the thing didn't go down well. You appoint permanently the first Latino, and all the Hispanics will be extraordinarily grateful. Wow, you've elevated. You know, there's never been an Italian-American police commission with all the great Italian-Americans who serve. So it's always that, you know, they might be affiliated with the mob. The reason that no Hispanic has been considered... You know, it might be with drug dealers. You know how Hispanics are. You know, the stereotypes are hard in terms of rising all the way up. Eddie has done that. In fact, he helped Sewell, remember? Wherever Sewell would go, Eddie would be their total gentleman. But his first day out of the box was not a good one. He did a very good thing. He went to the hospital with a five-year-old girl who had been shot, remember, at the vigil, where the day before somebody had been shot and killed. Uh, was rushed to the hospital. Eddie Caban shows up and gives her a pres- present and, and, you know, consoles the family. Good. Good photo op. But then he comes out, and I think he was next to the tall guy, Shell, who's, you know, in white shirt, tie, you know, looking like a cop. And there's Eddie Caban wearing a throwback New York Yankee uniform shirt with his name on the back and number one. And it's like, Eddie, Eddie, you cannot do that. If anything, you should have put on... A NYPD um, laser or something like play, that, or, 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 or you know, windbreaker, windbreaker yeah. right? Bad look. First of all, there are Met fans in the police department who haven't yet made up their their mind if you should be the police commissioner. You piss them off. Number two, who puts their name and a number on the back? Yeah, that is really chutzpah. So a from well, but now there, on, but there's the and then there's the other problem, and I didn't mean to step on you, but you. Know, the other problem is one of the signs that you have made it as the commissioner is you get to shed the uniform whites that everyone else has to wear up until that point. The only guy that really gets to wear a suit whenever he wants to, because theoretically it's a civilian job, is the police commissioner. He had a chance to look the part. And the combination of being next to this really tall guy and also looking like he just rolled out of the bleachers at Yankee Stadium, and we all know the Yankees don't have names well, gotta, on their jerseys. i got to tell you a, a, a great story. His brother is an identical twin. 
So I'm at the uh, philanthropy of which Eddie Caban is a board member with Johnny Gunji Rivera. His son died at a young age, you know, from a, a stem, uh, a brainstem cancer that's rare. And I'm talking to this guy for 20 minutes thinking it's Eddie Caban. And I've known Eddie Caban. And then Johnny Gunji Rivera comes over and said, you know, Eddie could have made it. He had special detail for the mayor. I'm going to do who's it? Who's this His guy? twin brother. We were having a 20-minute conversation as if he was Eddie Caban. Well, I wish the best for Eddie Caban. I mean, look, he would be great for the department. I would recommend wear the police uniform because the men and women want to see a cop's cop. They need a morale boost, and their morale is at an almost an all-time low. I would agree, and also take the interim tag off. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. All right, Diego got the memo. No, no. Don't tell me this is Neil Diamond. Can't win for losing with this guy. I hate Neil Diamond. That's a Red Sox guy. What are you talking about, Neil Diamond? That's the, that's their theme song, not this one. It's been everybody's theme song for Doesn't matter. I hate Neil Diamond. Brooklyn Zone. Get out of here. Barry Manilow's Brooklyn Zone, too. If he gets another facelift, his face will snap like an old rubber band. Oh, God. It'll ruin my morning here. But anyway, uh, we got to talk about uh, the mayor. As you know, I probably shadow him more than anybody else in existence, um, Anthony Weiner. I pretty much know where he's scheduled. Is that what you call? That's what you call stalking. Is that what you call showing up at his house, chasing rats away, haunting haunting him? How how did the rap battle go last night? uh, Well. I had done an amazing hour, if I don't say so myself. I do two a year with Vinnie Madugno, the Prince of Staten Island, who does a great music show. He's the protege of Cousin Brucey, and he's on from uh, 5 to 6 on Saturdays, and then so nice they have him do it twice before I come back on on Sundays at 9 from 8 to 9. So twice a year, January 1st and also July 4th, we do a disco hour. So he is the DJ and I'm the MC and uh, got a lot of praise from a lot of people because that was my era, disco, and I was a dancer extraordinaire. There's nobody who denies that. So we had a great hour. And then on the mayor's schedule, because his schedule has been very empty of late, it's almost like he has no public event schedule. Uh, on Monday, yesterday, uh, he was supposed to be with Funkmaster Flex on Hot 97, starting at 7 o'clock. It's not unusual. Sometimes mayors will join a musical show or they'll join. Yeah, and this is the time for block parties and barbecues. That's, that's a fun thing for the mayor to be right, doing. and that's his constituency, the rap. Remember, he said, I'm the, I'm the hip-hop mayor, you know, and he's funded the hip-hop museum, which is a scam as far as I'm concerned. But we'll talk about that another day. So he's scheduled to be with Funkmaster Flex who I've had words with in the past, by the way. He's not alone. I think the kids call it having beef. Right. And uh, I'm listening, and it's the same funk master flex. He does the same routine. Okay, but it's worked for him. He's very successful. No mayor. Now, maybe he showed up later, but there was no mayor. And here it is. I wanted a battle of the DJs. It would have been our own Vinnie Madugno versus funk master flex. And naturally, I was the MC to Vinnie Madugno, and Eric Adams would have been the MC to Funkmaster Flex. 
But apparently he was a no-show. Now, it was on his public calendar, but I don't know why he didn't do it. The day before, he had been in New Orleans at an Essence magazine conference of black elected officials from around the country. So maybe he had a layover. I don't know. But the point is, I've been looking at his schedule of late, Anthony, and especially on Saturdays, nothing, no scheduled events, Normally, this guy is like a borough president who's mayor. You know, he's cutting ribbons. He's giving certificates out. He is like, he is like, bing, 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 ricochet rabbit. I'm thinking that they're, they're like retooling. They're like, there have been some major bumps in the road of late. And this is almost like. So you think they're having like a retreat now where yeah. they're talking strategy? It could just be this is the second year. It's the summertime. It's a slow time. Not everyone works your schedule, ABC, always broadcasting, Curtis. It could just be that he's just, just taking it easy. He could be out at, at the Hamptons, maybe have some, I don't mind, oh. I don't mind the mayor recharging a little bit. Right, but if he were in the Hamptons at a fundraiser. Yeah, you're right. You'd probably know about it. Oh, there'd be pictures galore. People would be photobombing him. I don't think it's that. I think he's going through a change now where I think some of his closest advisors are saying, Eric, slow down. Well, let's re-gear here. We're looking at a number. We're looking at a tsunami of financial problems that are going to be hitting us because we're in over our head, as the state is. Uh, Tom DiNapoli has been saying as the state controller, warning, warning, danger. Tax proceeds are down, property taxes, sales taxes, the budget. You have a budget, fine, but you got to have the money to sustain the budget. And he's been, in fact... I was walking with him during the Puerto Rican Day Parade briefly, and I was asking him specifics. Tom, he goes, to be honest with you, I don't see this getting better. He's not going to say that publicly, but he was saying, we're going to be in, in a tough grind fiscally. And I think what happened, what is happening now is that the people who surround the mayor that he depends on are giving him counsel, advice, and you can't do that when you're doing events. Well, the other thing is there's an argument for not being so overexposed, to make it a special thing when you see the mayor. But I look, I can take the same collection of facts and say it's the summertime, it's a time that people take a break, they take a vacation. If he's doing that, you know, kind of a low-key vacation, I don't have a problem with that if he is. I mean, you usually like to, to, to I mean, if you can I'll make the argument that the first year and a half of this administration, he's been overexposed out at too many places that don't seem to be serious places, doing events nonstop, every proclamation under the sun presenting. And it could just be that that they're like, okay, we're a year and a half in. People know you're on the job. Now you can take it easy a little bit, recharge your, your batteries a little bit. It's not a big deal. I mean, the, the, the streets outside our studio are empty right now. This is a slow kind of lazy time of year. I know if there's anything Eric Adams does, you want to put it in the most negative light possible. I don't think this is the worst thing in the world for him to maybe not be in our grill, maybe not be on the front pages or in the gossip pages every single day. All right, understood. But you have major looming problems, some of them which are of his own making. The migrant issue, they continue to pour in nonstop. There is no aid coming from the federal government. There's no aid coming actually, from the Actually, they've slowed down a lot. They slowed down a lot since the the, the 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 new initiatives were put in by the Biden administration, making it harder that now that migrants have to apply on an app, they have to check in in another country. They're, those things are being challenged in court, but it has slowed down a good deal because the word has gotten out that you know, look, this is going to be a tougher thing. It, in, in terms of 
he, you're right, but they just did a budget. Now you can actually criticize the mayor for not putting aside more of the money. Um, I heard Frank Morano talking about this morning that they, they got us an extra $8 billion or something that they found at the last minute or whatever it is. Well, they be... find it under the pillows well, of the cash flow here's, convertible. Here's, and you know this because you're a student of this stuff. The real problem, it's not a problem. The real weakness of our budgeting system is the mayor and the mayor alone gets to decide how much money that we have. So if the city council starts getting too uppity, he can say, Oh, I guess we have $10 billion less than we thought. And suddenly everyone has to start cutting their budgets. So since the mayor has control of that, when they do the handshake, usually they find an extra few shekels but, that, that they can. But, you know, but, I, but there, I'm, I'm not saying that there are not reasons to be alarmed. And I do think this is a time you should be socking away a little bit. Even de Blasio put money aside for a rainy right, but day. Look fund. at that. You mentioned de Blasio. You have, when Bloomberg left, $70 billion budget. It's now, 10 years later, $107 billion. It was 40 when I was in the city council. Right. In the but I mean, it's, it's growing in leaps and bounds. Where is the revenue coming from? There's no more stimulus from the federal government. The state it has its own fiscal issues now. Where is this money yeah. going to come? And well, plus, he's just signed so many union contracts with almost no give back. Right. So, I mean, the, the city's economy is coming back. The amount of train ridership is back up to pre-COVID levels. The, you know, the, 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 the occupancy is creeping back up. Things are not perfect, but they're going in the right direction. If you're down by, you know, the, the money generating side of our, of our economy, the financial sector has had an amazing last six months. When you, when you see that the NASDAQ is up 30% and when you see that the S&P is up 16%, that's good for us. Those are revenues. When you go down to Times Square and look at the theater district, entertainment and, and, and tourism is coming back. We have challenges and I think we should be putting some money aside. All that being said, this notion that there's gloom and doom on the horizon. I don't know. The same way the economy is doing much better on a national level than we expected. The city's doing okay well, here. You mentioned Broadway. Simple thing. You look at billboard, you go online and you look at box office and they give you the box office that all the shows are, whether they're plays or whether they're musicals. And you see that they're all declining and eventually they can't make the nut, the weekly nut that they need because it's a very expensive proposition to be on Broadway, not off Broadway as much, but on Broadway. And they're going to be shows closing because first off, where are the tourists going to stay? I mean, I walk around Midtown and almost every available, uh, level three hotel is occupied by migrants. Listen, that's, that, that's not where tourists generally are staying anyway. This whole idea that, you know, they, someone made up this number, 50% is going to be occupied by migrants. It turned out to be not even close to that. All I know is that if you ever have the misfortune to be stuck around Times Square at theater, just going out or coming in time, curtain times in either direction, it is mobbed. You can walk down Fifth Avenue even on a quiet day like today, and you have on the sunny side of Fifth Avenue the tourists are are mobbed. I it's coming back, and like I said, we are we are three big things: we are finance, we are tourism, and we are um, and we're hospitality, and we're we're doing we're doing fairly well. I mean, I, the third one is real estate. We're doing fairly well on the first two, and we're coming back on the third one now. The real estate one, that's the one that, that carries the heavy load in the city, and that's why we came back in the 80s and, and the 90s because people started saying, all right, I want to work here again. That's where I have the greatest problem. When my brother closed his restaurant in, in the Flatiron neighborhood 
earlier uh, uh, last year after being open for 15 years. He says, listen, these people working at home is great, maybe, if you are out in the suburbs. But if you're a New York City business, it's a challenge. I'm not saying it's perfect. I am saying that if you look, you know, uh, Steve Cuso, I think is the way you say his name in the New York Post, he has a story today, and the New York Post is very hard on the mayor, saying, look, maybe the New York City's not really gloom and doom as much as as, as people have been saying. Um, I, I I understand. Well, I, all you have to do is just walk around. Look at the empty storefronts, the office buildings that are only 50% occupied. The number one group of workers, the army of workers, are women. It's always been that way. They go to the restaurants. They go to the bars. If women are not going to nightlife, you're not going to attract the men. You're just not going to attract the men. That's why first 50 in, women, you know, they're in for free. Because without women, guys are not going to come in and pay the cover charge and buy the bottle and all that nine yards. Women are frightened. They are not taking the subways in the same numbers that they did. But wait a minute. How do you account for the fact that the subways are back at pre-COVID levels? They're they're well, back. How, how do you have pre-COVID levels when, like, close to 20% of the people are not even paying their fare? It's like the Irish sweet fare. I don't trust those figures. I don't I really look, don't trust I, those I'd say, figures. I mean... In, 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 in our, in the neighborhood you know well and that I live in where they have all these bars, all the college kids from NYU, from the new school and everything filling up these, these bars. And then I got to tell you, it, it does have, now there are places. The outer borough shopping strips have too many vacancies because I think too many landlords still haven't gotten the memo that, listen, this is a tough time. Um, you, you talked about kind of the deals they're cutting to get pot shops to come in on a month to month because they don't want to make a long term commitment. I think that there are causes for concern. I don't deny that, but I do, just like the conversation I had yesterday with, with Dominic. I think to some degree the the reality hasn't caught up with the fact that, listen, yeah, we have some crime. It's it's t- still too much, but it's much lower than it was when we were coming out of COVID when it seemed like every time you turn around there well, was another horse. we got to talk about shoplifting up next because a Democrat has come out and said, you know, maybe we should have done more about this shoplifting thing. Somebody you know yeah. from Riverdale, uh, Dinowitz, yeah, Jeffrey Dinowitz, Dinowitz. Yeah. and it is true. Uh, people see shoplifting going on in front of them, and it makes them believe that there's a lawless state that exists. It is the simplest thing that you can see because people do go in and out of retail locations. It's Anthony Weiner, yours truly, Curtis Lee with Sid Rosenberg. We'll be back tomorrow, same time, same place. And remember, go out today. And celebrate America's birthday, please. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. Entertaining and informative. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. God. Yeah, I wish Lou were here. Much better musical selection. Wow, this is like really weak stuff. This is Leonard Skinner. Oh, uh, no, you played Freebird. You know, you don't play this. Stuff. No, you know what he should have done? And I listen, I don't want to pile on, but when we were doing the pot conversation, you should have done What's That Smell by Leonard Skinner. That would have been a better way to go. Oh, yeah. Oh, Wiz Khalifa. Bake Shop. But anyway, the point is these guys did not bring their A game this morning. Diego and Rico Radabali. But in the next hour, look, who's more of an expert on the hot dog eating contest than yours truly at Nathan's Famous? Wait a minute. I'm a guy named Wiener. 
You don't think that I've got I've got some chops in this? No, I've never competed in it. That's uh, Oscar Mayer, pal, the St. Nathan's. Uh, I finished third place in 1996. Wow. So I was also a competitive eater. as four-time sour garlic pickle-eating champion of the world. And uh, Abe Lieberwald was the one who hosted the first contest at the old 2nd Avenue Deli when it was actually on 2nd Avenue in the Lower East Side. This guy was Mr. Lower East Side. Did they ever solve his murder? No. He was on his way to make a deposit, because remember, a lot of cash business back then, and he got robbed, and he got killed, and it was never resolved, and this guy was such an iconic figure in the Lower East Side. I remember sitting in the 2nd Avenue Deli, and he was like the padron, the godfather. People would yeah. come in and sit down. If you didn't have any money, he'd say, look, here's a corned beef sandwich. Why don't you sit down? Tell me what your problem is. Maybe I could work with the city and come up with a solution. You were homeless. You had a fire. I mean, this guy was um, a double mensch. And then so many years later, never to have that crime resolved. It really, it's her. And, and it was a high, you know, it's really unusual. And this is a credit to the Detective Bureau. It's really unusual that a really high profile case yeah. doesn't get solved. Yeah. They ninth, usually figure it out. And this one was literally front page news. Oh, yeah. Ninth Precinct was all over it. That was the precinct of the 2nd Avenue Deli. It's where I lived, 131 Avenue A, St. Mark's at the time. After I was shot on June 19th, 1992. By the way, didn't Dominic Carter say that his birthday was on June 19th? I think he did, 64, yeah. Juneteenth, and also the date that I was shot five times with hollow point bullets, I had a tough recovery. That's not why we have a national holiday, but go ahead. No, but uh, I'm at home, and I I can't have any solid food. And Abe Leibold himself, sometimes he would send one of his workers, he would ladle the chicken soup. So that it was pure chicken soup. And I was able to ingest that. And it really helped in my recovery. You talk about liquid penicillin. It really, it, it gave me some strength. I had no strength. In fact, I, I didn't really have movement in my legs. My older sister, a holistic homeopathic practitioner, would come over and would give me shiatsu, reflexology. And slowly the feelings were returning because of the nerve damage. And then Abe comes to me and he says, Curtis. I want you to do me a favor. I'm hosting the first ever Sour Garlic Pickle Championship, World Championship. There's this old Altakaka in the South Bronx who hasn't moved. He's got this recipe. He wants to sponsor the event. I'm bringing in people from all over the world to compete. All I want you to do is be the rabbit. You'll represent the Lower East Side. Everybody knows you. You just stand in front of the bowl of the sour garlic pickles. You try to eat one or two, and then basically let them, let the uh, the mastodons continue. So I show up. I hadn't had any solid food at all. But just out of curiosity, do they pile them up whole or are they chopped? I mean, no, no, they're, they're sliced. Whole, they're whole, right? and they, they weigh it because the pickles come ah, in different that's right, sizes. That's right, yeah. So I start eating it. I had not had any solid food. It's the first solid food I have. I never liked pickles. I ended up winning the world championship. I defended the crown four years. The world sour garlic eating championship. If you would have lit a match when I was in a room afterwards, we would have been all blown to kingdom come. And the guy who eventually stripped me of my title at the Carnegie Deli when it was uh, open, the kid went to the South Bronx out the cocky. He goes, can you give me the formula for your pickles? 
Just get the hell out of here. I don't give that formula to anybody. It's like giving the formula to, of Mac sauce, you know, to, from McDonald's. And the kid figured it out. And every week he would have a pickle eating contest in his basement, his girlfriend, and he figured out the enzymes that you well, needed. Well, the brine is a fairly standard thing. There must have, so he figured out a chemical way to, to, to beat the chemical system. Way. And he whooped me. He whooped me in front of the Carnegie Deli. It would have been my fourth championship. Now, by the way, isn't that a very acidic thing to be hoovering down? I mean, with, I mean, you, does that contribute to the stomach problems you have to this day? Look, excuse me, I was the world champion four years running. Come on, world sour garlic eating champion. When we come back, though, I did compete a few years in the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Championship. I lost to Ed Cratchy, the mass fifth incinerator. Oh, yeah. He had 25. Then you had Mike DeVito, who was the scholar of hot dog eating. He had 20 from Staten Island, Manalapan. And then I finished third in 1996 and afterwards went on the Cyclone roller coaster ride with our reporter at the time to prove I was a man's man. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. But you say he's just a friend. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. Oi! And welcome back to Sid and Friends in the Morning, Curtis Lee Way, Anthony Weiner. This is time for Sid on Sports, sponsored by Peerless Boilers, the world's best-built boiler. So the sport that most of the world is going to be focused on today, I don't know, is it really a sport, Curtis? Is hot dog eating, it's going to be covered by ESPN Live. They're promoting it all over the place. Is it a sport? Sure. International eating contest, which I'll get into, by the way, it's our nation's birthday. You think you could get music along? You started great living in America, James Brown, right? It started out, and it's been all downhill since. It's sort of like, man, this is... Wait, wasn't that actually America, that band? Yeah, I understand, but this is so low. This makes you want to go to sleep. Oh, God. Well, if you... Listen, I think he went the safest route possible. A band called America. Yeah, how many people out there know that? Thank you. Uh, Diego, please get 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 hip, get happening, get with it. This is America's birthday. We're celebrating it. You know, I I, I got to give uh, praise to my Kumarichi Rudy Giuliani. He went out yesterday after his three to four program at the end with Kate Smith. God bless America. You know, it was the it was the desire of George Steinbrenner. The Kate Smith sing that because obviously she had passed away. But that it be in recorded form after 9-11. He said, you know, even after I'm dead, sons, you're going to run this. you got to have Kate Smith going on, the seventh inning stretch. And the New York Yankee fans look forward to that. A great rendition. And all of a sudden, Randy Levine, who had been deputy mayor for Rudy Giuliani, became president of the, the Yankees. By the way, I see him on the streets near here. Is there yeah. his office near here? No, no, I see him, too. You know, he couldn't be nicer to me. Yep. And I got daggers in my eyes for him because he and the brass decided to pull Kate Smith's rendition 2017 of God Bless America because, well, she had made some racist comments in the 1930s. 
Excuse me if that were the reason to get rid of stars and starlets and performers. About half the productions that we either watch or we we listen to would have to be eliminated. You can probably they about half of them use you know wore blackface back in the right, day. Right, right. So, but I don't. But Kate Smith, that's a unique. Look, here's my bias against Kate Smith. In the 1970s, when the Broad Street Bullies, the Philadelphia Flyers, were big rivals of the New York Islanders, yes. Kate Smith was there. Yeah. The Flyers. She would, they would roll her out at Stanley Cup playoff time, and they had some streak of like never losing when she sang yeah, the song. And they took her statue down also. Now, this was, there's no Black Lives Matter, no demonstrations, no nothing to this day. Randy Levine cannot explain that. Now, look, that was the will. He should have put it in writing. Uh, you know, almost like a last will and testament. And then they removed Kate Smith. What did, so what did Rudy do yesterday? He played Kate Smith at ah. the end of his program, God Bless Matt. They play it in Wildwood on the boardwalk. Uh, when they raise the flag every morning, they play Kate Smith. And you say, how could you do that? This woman sold more war bonds during yeah. World War II than anybody else. Well, here's, here's, an, here's an unconventional position that I think most Americans, if you put them under, under truth serum, would agree with. God Bless America should be our national anthem. Well, you know why? And, and I got into trouble with uh, Tony Bennett. 1996, right? Uh, the Yankees, after being down two games to the Atlanta Braves, and you know, even Michael Kay and John Sterling, it's over. We got our asses. This kicked. is the first year of their run, right? That they finally were back into the World Series action. For games one and two in Yankee Stadium, and Andrew Jones, who nobody really knew much, he was like the black Mickey Mantle, and then you had the uh, killer of the Mets there. Uh, playing third base, uh, what's his name, uh, Clipper Jones or whatever the hell his name was, the Chipper. Alabama Chipper. kid. Chipper. Chipper, right. He a Met killer. They were having a great first two games. And even Michael Kay and John Sterling would say, it's over. And I would do the post-game show after John Sterling would finally finish. <laughs> and Ted Turner would call up. Ted Turner half in the bag. And he would say, the South shall rise again. And then the Yanks went down to Atlanta, Fulton County Stadium, right. came back, Jimmy Lairidge, the King, all that. But anyway, the point being is they have the parade through the Canyon of Heroes. And I'm down there with all the sportscasters. And, oh, what's he doing here? And then uh, Francesa, uh, Francesa. Francesa, yeah. The Pope, Curtis. No, he's one of us. Guys, guys, he, he gets his seat here for WABC. It's the okay. If, if uh, Francesca said it, it's okay. Tony Bennett is singing. He's not singing the national anthem. He's singing, I think, America the Beautiful. And then I'm saying, oh, yeah, that's because he doesn't want to sing the national anthem. He comes up to me. He's like, I'm disappointed in you. Why? I can't hit the high notes any longer. You know what the national anthem is? You know how many high notes that is? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, not patriotic. I just can't hit the high notes anymore. Boy, did I feel like a schmuck. A putt. That song is impossible. But any song that's very difficult for a regular person to sing is not a great. And God Bless America is such a beautiful song. Yes. And, you know. but, but then you have America the Beauty. You have, uh, and then you have Lee Greenwood now. You have my favorite, Patrick Jouvet, the disco classic, uh, the Frenchman made for us. Uh, uh, I love uh, America. But the point being is, you imagine what a jerky boy I felt like. Here's Tony Bennett, right? I grew up and everybody, oh, Tony Bennett. You know, there's Frank Sinatra and Tony Bennett, the Astoria kid. I was like impaled. 
Let's talk about the sport that I'm an expert at, which is the number one subject today. Well, let me let me ask you some questions because okay. I am. Well, let me let me give you my my uh, my credibility in talking about this. In the late nineties, nine not only was the world sour garlic pickle eating champion, but I was on the circuit. There's a circuit of gastronomical busting eating contests all even, over the world. Even then, or yes. is this a relatively recent? It, it started thing. then, uh-huh. uh, and it really was because of the Japanese champion who came over and stole the mustard colored belt of supremacy from the Americans, Kobayashi. Kobe right. But if this was before Joey Chestnut, there was a heavy set guy who was the guy at the at the moment. Well, right? that was Ed Cratchit. Ed, that's the one. That's right, right, the right. guy that I lost to in nineteen ninety six where I finished third. And you know the person that enabled me to finish third because I cheated on him and he didn't watch me. Gersh Kuntzman. Gersh Kuntzman, great reporter for the Post and News. He's, he's now the, at Streets Blogs. Right. The uh, Brooklyn Eagle and every competitor has Somebody who's got to watch you to make sure that you're not slipping hot dogs in your pocket, under the table, and all that. So while I was eating the hot dogs, and I did it the traditional way, I didn't dunk them in water, you know, the bun first. Well, that hadn't been, that was one of my questions. That hadn't started as yeah, a... Yeah, no, that, that was already oh, in was. existence, right. So I'm eating them the traditional way. And there's Ed Cratchy, 1996. He was called the Maspeth Incinerator. He was huge, like 6'8", right. 285, Verizon installer. I think he lives in uh, Florida now. He ate 25 hot dogs in 12 minutes. The contest was 12 minutes then. Then you had Mike DeVito. He was considered the scholar because he knew all the elements. He had grown up in Staten Island, moved to Manalapan down the Jersey Shore like everyone else who does the hops giving a junk. He ate uh, 20. And I ate 16, but I cheated. <laughs> Two of them. One went in my pocket, the other went under the table. Gersh Kunstman was watching me, was bird-dogging me, doing a very good job like an umpire watching balls and strikes. But I'm dancing and I'm prancing, I'm putting on, you know, an entertainment like Muhammad Ali while I'm eating them. Meantime, he didn't watch that I was basically like playing three-card molly. You know, where all of a sudden I was dishing the hot dog. So I finished third place. Ten minutes after the contest, everybody gets a bucket. If you upchuck, you're disqualified. So they're watching like a hawk for ten minutes. You don't get to leave. And then Babita Hariani was the Hindu princess at the time, our street reporter. And I said, Babita, let's go over to the cyclone. She said, well, what are we going on the cyclone for? I'm going to ride this cyclone. I'm going to prove I'm the ultimate man's man. I finished third. And you get the rush of sodium going through your body. You think you're going to have a stroke or a heart attack. And then I rode the cyclone, the roller coaster, without upchucking. I will never forget that day in 1996. Then by, oh, later on, Kobayashi comes, right? 2001 to 2006, this Japanese guy was still competing was untouchable. He comes out of nowhere, 50 hot dogs. The guy is a little shrimp. Right, completely rewriting the the physical style that we thought you needed to be. We assumed after seeing these big guys win it, this guy's 150 pounds. He's actually in pretty good shape, it looks like, and and turns the, the sport upside down. Right, so the Japanese accompany him. He's their champion. 
He's got groupies galore, these Japanese women. He's staying at the Waldorf. <laughs> so I'm criticizing the two guys, the Shea brothers, George Shea. You see them with the straw right, hats. Right. It's like they're stacking the deck for this Japanese guy. It's like a conspiracy. And by the way, the Shea brothers, they're PR guys, but it seems like this is their only client. This is like their... No, no, they have... Oh, but yeah? this okay. is where they really shine because right. they've really elevated this yeah. contest. So they try to shut me down. They're claiming that I'm xenophobic, which was true. I was attacking him because I was saying they're stealing the mustard bullet, uh, colored belt of supremacy. Remember, at that time, the Japanese owned Rockefeller Center. Oh, uh, yeah. They were the villains at the right, time. Right. They, they, they were the red Chinese at the time, economically. And so I'm rare. I'm firing up the crowd. They turned on my microphone. They basically censored me. Although I got clobbered by Kobayashi, I never again was able to win, place, or show. But this guy, Kobayashi, was amazing. And in 2007, George Shea and his brother go on a national hunt. They're, they're trying to find Jack Armstrong. They're trying to find the all-American guy to take back the mustard-colored belt of supremacy. And they go to Fresno, California, where Tom Seaver had come from. Tom Seaver was a better golfer than he was a baseball pitcher yeah, at that, that time. But he, he was like the Jack Armstrong, the all-American guy, Tom Seaver. They find Joey Chestnut. And Joey Chestnut comes and competes for the first time. And him and Kobayashi, they're going at it. And I think Joey Chestnut beat Kobayashi by a half a hot dog. And then all of a sudden, Kobayashi gets into a battle with the Shea brothers. And they banned him. They took him down. They stripped him from the Wall of Fame outside of Nathan's Famous. You see all the great champions. And he violated some rule? Well, they basically had a monopoly. And he is competing in eating oh, contests. Oh, I got it. They, they wanted to individually. You probably had to sign something saying that you're not going to. Exactly. Got it. Uh -huh. So while Joey Chestnut continued to win championships, Kobayashi would compete in a side contest. Kind of like the USFL of, of, uh, of food right. competition. He's eating 69 hot dogs. Joey Chestnut's eating 70. The fans want to see Joey Chestnut versus Kobayashi. Kobayashi's still active. The two most difficult foods to consume in international uh, eating contests uh hard-boiled eggs. And and crab. No, <laughs> hard-boiled eggs and haggis. Oh, that's right, yeah. But remember the scene, as we were discussing before the show, Cool Hand Luke. Remember, they're trying to yeah. eat hard-boiled eggs. It is the hardest thing to eat, followed by haggis. Hey, Diego, you know what haggis is? Hey, uh, when you were in Mexico, didn't you ever go to the bull ring and watch the matador? Hey, daughter, daughter. And then if the matador doesn't get gored, what does he hold up? The bull testicles, right? That's what Haggis says. And let me tell you, having competed in those contests, oh, almost impossible to digest. So when we come back now, I'm going to turn you loose. You can ask every question. People I've always wanted to be a sports reporter. This is my chance to ask an actual athlete from an actual sport. Yes, I am an athlete, although I no longer compete. But I can tell you what the regimen is, what they do to train, because it's a year-round vocation. I mean, Joey Chestnut is worth $4 million just from competitive eating contests alone. Yes, truly who finished third place in 1996 in the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest with 16 dirty water hot dogs. By the way, now wouldn't even, wouldn't even qualify for the contest. 
And Anthony Weenu, who had the perfect name to compete <laughs> and should have, although it would have been in the Oscar Maya hot dog eating contest, I won that too in New York City. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Think you can have anything like more fast pace, more upbeat. Here we go. Is at the end of the Mark Levin show here? Unbelievable. These guys, they didn't bring their eight game at all. Anyway, you know, if Diego walks into a 7-Eleven with an Uzi one day, just loses it. It's going to be because of these conversations. You should. I mean, come on, man. We went upbeat, upbeat. Right, we, we're moving. This towards is a relaxing. Holiday. This is a relaxing, easygoing kind now, this, of day. This, uh, I'm thinking Mark Levin show. Right, come on, get creative. So here. let me ask you a couple of questions about this. All right, I will say it's debatable that this is an actual sport. This seems to be more like a physical feat of strength of some sort. But I'll I'll concede that it has now risen to the place that ESPN is covering like sport. I think we should. Okay, but I'm curious about a couple of things. It seems to me that the biggest innovation in this sport was when someone figured out that you can dip the buns and eat the meat separately. Because as you know, if you try to put a piece of Wonder Bread and challenge someone to eat it in a minute, they'd yeah. have a tough time doing yeah. it because it's just your saliva can't break down all the Well, I, I'm evidence. a purist. I'm an old schooler when they didn't do that. They, they allowed that because they recognized that it would speed up the process of uh, putting it down the hatch. It's like a sword swallow. So is there a moment in time that that was permitted that suddenly revolutionized the sport and went from being a 20-something hot dog competition to now being a 70-something hot dog competition? Oh, absolutely. And uh, I was opposed to that, but what the hell? I had, like, no say because it's all the Shea brothers. You know, they control right. everything. And they recognized that that would allow the competitors to eat more hot dogs. And yep. did they, when you were competing in it, did they let you have a drink at all? Did they allow did I, me that? No, I'm saying, was yeah, there? you could. So did, there was always a, a glass, a cup of water there, and did this happen because someone said, huh, I wonder if I... No, no, I understand the need for the cup of water. You could choke out. In fact, that's why they cut the, the minutes down from 12 minutes to 10 minutes. They were afraid, like in, in boxing, you used to have 15 rounds, they cut it down to 12 rounds. Right. They were afraid that people were going to choke out. All right, let me ask you a couple of other questions here. Yeah. The... Uh, the hot dog that is sold at Nathan's is a grilled hot dog. That is correct. Right? And, you know, some people believe boiling a hot dog is a bastardization. You should never do that anyway. So these are all actually cooked at Nathan's, brought out front, and they're room temperature by the time you're eating them? Like, they can't be hot, right? warm. They're warm. Okay. Uh, and, and they've been grilled, and they try to do it as close to the contest as possible. They bring right. out plates and plates and plates. And uh, there is a regimen that a lot of the competitors go through. Me, I used to take the Polish method. I would starve myself for three days. <laughs> and they would tell me, hey, schmuck, you putz, uh, that actually shrinks your stomach. You know, it has the reverse effect. What the competitors who do this all over the country, there's a circuit, like I said. It could be oysters. Right, right. It could be buffalo wing. It, I, I read that George Chestnut makes a healthy living doing four this. Million, yeah. Four million. Four million. So yeah. there's two ways to train. You can drink gallons of milk each day to stretch your stomach, but if you're dairy uh, intolerant, oh boy, you got problems with that. That's what I am, dairy intolerant. 
Or the older method is you shred cabbage, you eat that, and then you drink gallons of water, and that will stretch your stomach. And it allows you to ingest more hot dogs than normally you would think And uh, that's possible. a stomach thing. Now, I remember being in college, there was always one guy at the frat house who had this ability to pour a, a cup of beer down his throat by just opening up somehow. You know, he didn't have to swallow. The esophagus, correct. Right. So uh, now these guys are not enormous, big, fat guys. Are, is it a stomach issue for these guys, or is there some other physical thing that they have going on that no, gives them an they advantage? they go to the gym. They work out. They are athletes. I've competed against the very best. Uh, Kobayashi was the first who came in uh, and trained like morning, noon, and night. In fact, in Japan, competitive eating is so uh, popular that once a week, one of the most watched TV shows is the competitive eating event of that particular week, whatever the particular culinary delight is. And, I mean, they have a pizza. I finished third place on Columbus Day, the International Pizza Eating Contest. So a lot of people would say, well, what caused you to end up with ileitis, colitis, and then full-blown Crohn's disease? Now, either it was the lead poisoning (laughs) from the bullets, from the five hollow-point bullets, or it was all this competitive eating and the fact that I was addicted to Coca-Cola. I would drink two 68-ounce bottles a day, a.m. and p.m., so you add all those ingredients up, I think That's you understand why I ended up By with... By the way, just not to get caught in a tangent, but at PS39, when we used to have the science fairs, there were two go-to things that w- at least one kid would have, usually more. One is they would take a a white carnation and put it in a, a glass of water that had a dye in it to show how the water goes up to the leaves and changes the color. The other is always one kid would take a nail that they got a Tarzan hardware on 7th Avenue, and they put it in a cup of Coca-Cola just to show how the Coca-Cola would erode the thing over a period of time. But let me get back well, to Well, just the other one they do. You take a penny that had been uh, tarnished over time, and you would put it in a cup of Coca-Cola overnight, and you didn't need Noxon. <laughs> All of a sudden, you could see the copper color again. Exactly. I mean, it, let's face it. It was not the smartest thing on the world. I'm surprised I'm not a diabetic. Yeah. I'm surprised they didn't stroke out. But let me ask you something out of today's headlines. Have there been instances where someone, a a transgender person, who might have had the stomach of a man competing in a women's competition, do the women have a disadvantage because they physically have smaller stomachs? What if you have a really large woman? I mean, could it be that this might be the sport that when men and women are completely equally able able to compete in? Well, the female champion that I knew was Sonia the Black Widow, very right. diminutive, an Asian woman. I think she was from Virginia, Tidewater Peninsula. And, uh... and I think she originally had the record of 40 hot dogs in 10 minutes. The competition for women starts first. It's at 10.30, and then the big contest for the men is at 12 noon. And all of this is on ESPN. It's become quite the the sport. The problem is, and we, we discussed it briefly earlier, the Shea brothers are very astute. What happens if one of the guys who's been competing regularly, but he's like always eighth or ninth or tenth, he's always out of the win place to show, Decides that, hey, I eat 52 hot dogs every time I compete. I could win the female competition, and he could. I want to identify as a woman, even though I anatomically I have male parts. 
how do you how do you object? And now, obviously, I know the Shea brothers. They're going to say absolutely not. You know, you're either a woman anatomically, uh, or you know, you have to have the surgery. You got to prove it. But I think that day is going to come when a guy who's been competing, competing, he's always on the fringe, never quite a champion. It's going to say, you know, if I identify as a woman, I could be the champion. I could be holding up the trophy first. And at the end, remember, they have the male winner and the female winner. You see all the preliminary interviews. So you had Joey Chestnut, last year's champion. You had the female, last year's champion. They did all the interviews. Imagine the attention you would get if the guy who won the female contest identified as a woman still anatomically had male parts. Yeah. But might go to court and force Nathan's famous and the Shea brothers to accept him as a female competitor. I welcome that. I welcome that. Boy, I can't wait for that because I got it in for the Shea brothers who turned my microphone off and claimed that I was a xenophobe when I was attacking Kobayashi for having embedded enzymes that Japanese scientists had embedded enzymes in his stomach in the shadow of Mount Fuji. I had documentary evidence. You know I have guardian angels in Japan. I understood the formula to his success, and they turned off my microphone. You're, you're a victim. You're a victim. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Oh, God. What the hell is this? All right, let me try. Let me try. Jay Giles Band, Great American Band. Yeah, but still, this is the 4th of July. Oh yeah, man. I'm not. I'm not sure I would have gone with this song. There's so many. Oh god, patriotic songs. Yeah, Jay I'm, trying, I'm trying to think if Jay Giles done anything. Please, not just, just can't stop something like that. Not, not. Come on. He's making an effort to get American bands, and this is what this is a good pull. Not, not mad about going the kind of the pop song that they had that has. Gee, Liz, so lame to me. They started off so well. Living in America, James Brown, and it's been downhill ever since. But this is the Sid Rosenberg Show with his uh, many friends. By the way, is he back at the Irish Riviera? Is yes. he back in the house? Oh, great. Yes, he is. He Good. loves it out there. Good for rightfully, him. Because that is the Irish Riviera. You used to represent it in Congress, so you know it well. And I won it overwhelmingly in the mayoral election, so I know it well. Like half the people there went to high school with me at Brooklyn Prep. The Peter King always likes to say, you know, I went to Brooklyn Pre- Prep to Jesuit High School. I graduated. Curtis got kicked out. He said it again yesterday. Yeah. But anyway, I digress. We got to talk about fireworks. I heard the lamest newscast of James Flippin, who uh, might as well have been a snowflake. Oh, and don't. Don't use sparklers. Don't use sparklers. He didn't make that up. That's the advice that 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 experts oh, are giving about how to keep your kids safe. Come on, we're, we're not talking about when I grew up, and my supreme cuisine cousins would put an ash can in my hand, and they'd scrape it on the asphalt first, you know, to sharpen it up, and then they'd light it and they'd say, "Curtis, we're counting ten Mississippis." You throw it up in the sky when we reach the 10th Mississippi. Listen, we count on James Flippin to give the, all of our listeners the advice on how they can stay safe this 4th of July. Oh, please. We're you not snowflake. Tra- well, well, what about this sparkler thing? Well, look, I just wanted to come in and, and try to defend the newsroom here on July 4th as our integrity is being impugned. First of all, don't Mr. try to defend the whole newsroom. Just focus on this 
this chart. You're trying to take our sparklers away. So, you know, we, as Anthony alluded to, we try to keep people safe. When we make our news reports on a holiday like this, we call attention to certain things. You know, you got to keep the grill away from the garage a certain distance. You don't throw the charcoal briquettes away until they're fully uh, extinguished. You understand what I'm saying? So when you talk about these uh, sparklers, the experts say that when it comes to little kids, they can cause a lot of injuries. What what experts? Who who are these experts? Actually, this is a good point. If I just press play, on the 4th of July newscast from 1995, mm-hmm. would it be any difference Would I have hot dog stories about who likes ketchup and who doesn't, charcoal briquettes, you know, the, the, the fireworks, keeping your dogs away from the fireworks. I mean, you could be the Newstron 2000 chat GPT version of this, and right. we might never miss you. Well, that's interesting because actually we haven't done the dogs on <laughs> sorry, July 4th sorry yet. Sorry I put that in your head. So now we'll do that. Well, how about cats, cats, too? You know, cats, they well, get wrong? upset. Do they worry about the oh, yeah. fireworks? See, my cat so, doesn't seem to have... You're so dog-centric. I know. I'm a cat bias. owner. I'm a cat owner. My cat doesn't seem to have no, any you problem with fireworks. You don't own a cat. A cat is your family member. Don't talk about owning <laughs> is, a cat. This is, this is, is there anyone who's not under the Curtis train this morning? I'm uh, telling you. They, they, let's get back to sparklers. And actually, I just want to say, when it comes to sparklers, they can be very fun. Fireworks can be fun. It's all about having safe fun. You know, first so you, you, gotta, you, you took the firecrackers away from us. Now you've taken the sparklers see away the from sparklers, us. See, the sparklers, i got to tell you, Fran and Mort Wiener, when they sent us out to sparklers, we were the wusses on the block because they were exactly. the only things they would let us use. Exactly. There was, you know, it, and then, of course, you know what you want to take away next mm-hmm. are the caps. We used to take a roll of caps, put them on the curb, the end of the curb, and take a rock and hit them so there would be a sound. Or if you had enough money, you could buy a, a cap pistol. Well, that's the thing. You would ne- None of the kids on the block had the actual cap pistol. Right. We all just could afford the caps. Right. And, and now you want to take the caps away, no, too. No, I don't think you could still buy those. I don't even know if I they have those right. caps anymore. I think he's right. I don't think they have those anymore. Well, what about the ones that used to be in the little white sacks, like the size of a teardrop that you would throw on the ground? That's right. Snappers. That's right. Yeah, snappers. I think Snapp- they still have those. Yeah, you want to take those away, no, too, right? No, you can right? have the snappers. So let me, let me ask you this, okay. Jersey boy. So we go over to Pennsylvania to Walmart-sized fireworks stores. Mm-hmm. And we load up, you know, old Betsy with all the fireworks. And then there are the New Jersey State Troopers on the other side of the bridge from Easton to Phillipsburg. Pull over there. We're going to send you to Trenton State. And so they're like, would you leave the holiday alone? Well, this is your guy, Rudy Giuliani, started this crackdown. Well, that's right. I mean, me and my buddies used to go, you know, we used to go, my, my brother Seth, we used to go down to Canal Street and we used to go down there with a $20 bill, and we had, came back with a pretty nice supply. And then Rudy Giuliani took that fun away it's from right. us. On one side were the ghost shadows, the south side of Canal Street. So the Chinese would try to lure you into a basement and sell you their crates of fireworks. Then on the north side, Little Italy, you had the Gambinos and Genovese, and they tried to sell you their crates. Right, and, and, the, and the James Flippin of 1995 would be, oh, those M80s, and it would be one story about some kid getting his fingers blown off. Exactly. Ah, I was traumatized by so, uh, so Jason Pierre Paul. So let me ask you a question. Back then, it was ash cans, blockbusters, M80s. cherry bombs, right, mm-hmm. and M80s. And you have to take the wick, and you have to rub it on the ground so that it would catch the light. And then you'd held it in your hand to prove you were a man's that's man. Right, and then right. you would toss it in the air, right? Was that suicidal? Was that kamikaze? Was that, would you ban that practice? Now? I would recommend 
uh, not doing they that. They would sort do of the thing. right there. Emergency yes. rooms are ready for yes. the onslaught that's coming. Exactly. So in Howard Beach, they're going to have an armada of Roman candles. Every conceivable Roman candle that was made in uh, uh, Macau, you name it, all the places that they're made now, will be lined up. Like there'll be more fireworks there than over the East River with Macy's. Do you know that Rudy was such a fanatic about fireworks that he had a commander in the police department, guy, toughest guy ever, Lou Anamone, came to Rudy and said, I want to do an amphibious landing on Howard Beach and catch them before they were letting off all the Roman cats. An amphibious landing. A new Howard and Beach. It was, it was vetoed because there were too many bodies floating in the water right, there. Right, that's <laughs> old Howard Beach and Hamilton, <laughs> and Beach. Hamilton Beach. I yeah. mean, there used to be fireworks everywhere. When Moody was mayor, you heard very few. And then during the annual Chinese Lunar New Year Day Parade, which part of the tradition is you set off mats of firecrackers, he wouldn't let him like, set off rules one rule. Rules are rules. Oh, you're right. Well, I forgot all about that. Well, look, definitely safety stories on July 4th are a little cliche, and I'll, I'll admit to that. But I just want to also say, sticking up for my fellow board op over here on the other side of glass, that hosts making fun of music selections on holidays is also a very tired trope all right, all right. of talk radio. Throwing your lot in just with Diego is not the greatest strategic saying, decision you've I'm ever just made. just saying. Where is it? Where's the patriotic music? He played it. He played the patriotic. You didn't yeah. like it. You didn't the like the start of the show. Living in America, James Brown. He can't win with you. All, all I can say is is standing up for Diego a little bit is the right amount. Putting you on on that side of the glass with that team. <laughs> Stick with us, buddy. Stick so with us. So let me let me get this straight. So in Bloomfield, New Jersey, you're going to be riding around on your bicycle today, and as you see kids with sparklers. Mm-hmm. You gonna rat them out, man? Are you gonna rat them out? Are you gonna are you gonna take like pictures of these kids and report them to the local Bloomfield Police Department? I'll have a spray bottle. I'll have a spray bottle. Here's me. He's gonna have the 77 WABC mobile news unit going to the emergency room (laughs) out there at whatever emergency room they have. And they'd be waiting for the kids to come in with their fingers blown off. Mm-hmm. And he's going to be there. And once again this year, the the warnings were unheeded. We told you so. We told you so. And let me, take you, let me take you back in the time machine. David Dinkins was the mayor. And he said, you know, I'm going to crack down on that John Gotti Sr. and his block party on 101st Avenue in Ozone Park. I'm not allowing them to have any fireworks displays because they used to put barrels of fireworks oh, yeah. and just dump them in, and it would be like Macy's Fourth of July. And then during the day, you'd give out hot dogs, hamburgers. They had the carousel. They had all the rides. You know, the kids loved it. So David Dinkins orders the cops. You go in there, you lock it down. So all the cops think they got every square inch of the street covered. And what did the Gambino guys do from the Bergen Hunt Fish and Shoot Human Beings Club, which was right on the corner? They had pre-positioned barrels on the rooftops filled with fireworks. And then at the appropriate time, they poured gasoline in and threw the match in. And you had explosions in the air. And there was David Dinkins and his police commanders with their three-piece set in their hands, you know, totally me made fun of. The moment Rudy got in, he had guys with binoculars. He had drones. He had helicopters. And they weren't able to set off one they, firecracker. Did they do the amphibious assault or was that vetoed? No, no. I think even Rudy said, uh, hey, Lou, that's a little extreme. An amphibious assault. 
You know, because the police have all kinds I, of I was going to say, I bet they've got something like that. They do. And knowing Lou Anamone, he would have done it. It would have come out of Jamaica Bay, frogmen, you know, out of the water. Because they wait until it's dark, until it's about 9, 9.30. And all these Roman candles are lined up in New Howard Beach, all along the grasslands. And then almost simultaneously, they do it now, pyrotechnics uh, with uh, electronic gear where they could set them off because the explosions are so fierce, uh, you could burn a house down, right? And then they go, bombs bursting in air. I could just see Lou Animal come, charge! Man, you didn't mess with Rudy when it came to fireworks. He was obsessed with that. Or having nightclubs, right? Zero tolerance. They would come in with like a... A Geiger counter, you know, that would check uh, for noise abatement. If you were a decibel over padlock. Well, then there's the other thing. He was big on enforcing. You're not allowed to dance. That's correct. Oh, did I have the battles <laughs> with him? You could be in a gin mill, right? And they would have there. You put the quarter in the jukebox. You may want to get up with your friend and start dancing. Oh, no, no cabaret dancing. No dancing. You get locked up. Well, they did that from back in the day when they had um, speakeasies and the way to crack down on them, since they could never actually catch them sometimes with the liquor, they'd sometimes bust them for having flappers dancing there. Right. And it still existed. And the other thing he, he had a, a, a bugaboo about, ferrets. Do you remember oh, this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Look, when Rudy was the mayor, would be asked the mayor on Friday mornings, really. With who? Have- Grant, right? Uh, no, no, not Bob Grant. He would come and he would do the show on his own. Oh, he, that's right. That's right. Then when Bloomberg came, he would have John Gambling there. He would tell Flirty Flipper, Jill Vitale, we have our own phone screener. They would uh, monitor the calls. It was a boring program. With Rudy, it was like a traditional talk program. You never knew. And the ferret guy called up and they would battle. It was great talk radio. You knew that. That eventually when Rudy was no longer mayor or whatever else he chose to do, he would be a great talk show radio, host yeah, for sure. as he is today. Ask the mayor when Rudy was real with Bloomberg, almost like everything else in his life, for gazing. Like listening to Rudy now. Oh, my God. Boring. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. Entertaining and informative. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. Yeah, yeah. Excellent, excellent. Shame on you, Randy Levine. Shame on you, New York Yankees, for removing Kate Smith, the will of George Steinbrenner, that during every seventh inning stretch, this rendition by Kate Smith, the best ever made, God bless America would play. Pretty good. To hear it now, you have to go to Wildwood on the Jersey Shore. Every day when they raise the flag to start today, they play this. God bless Wildwood. Ufa to you, New York Yankees. And that's why I've really lost a lot of my support for the New York Yankees. This has never been explained to me. There's no rationale for it. And this was before the days of canceling. They kind of did it. Or was there? Was there some yes. Al Sharpton protest or something no, they were responding to? No, there were no to? protests. Absolutely none. This was nonsensical. If you would have suddenly assessed everything back in the 20s and 30s and based it on today's parameters, 
Almost nobody would pass muster. Right. I mean, we played Bing Crosby, right? Guy was beating up his kids with belts. He was an abuser extraordinaire. Oh, let's Christmas time, let's play Bing Crosby, right? Come on, Randy Levine and the New York Yankees. This was the will of George Steinbrenner. And remember, in the box, I would sometimes look up in the old Yankee Stadium, which was a real stadium, not a mall, this new stadium of the era of Jeter and Aroid. You would look up in the box, and you know who would be sitting there? Donald Trump or George Steinbrenner. Two German-Americans, right? Probably the most two famous German-Americans in existence. But anyway, we'll talk about that in the next hour. Anthony, I see you will be uh, substituting for the deadbeat, the slacker, the gold brick, uh, Frank Morano, who takes more days off than, I think, uh, days that he actually works. the hardest working man in show business, that guy. No, what what day will you be substituting for him? Tonight. I mean, the Wednesday to tomorrow morning, going into tomorrow morning. It's it's disorienting for those of us who don't usually do this shift. So from 1 to 5, Wednesday morning, this coming tonight. Wait a second. It's a nationally syndicated show. Yeah. How come he's not here? Well, first of all, this you you want to look at the at the, the the downside of this. You want to look at the underbelly of this. The upside is I'm getting an opportunity on an increasingly big stage, the the I'm getting opportunity here. Thank thankfully, Dominic carried me yesterday. You're carrying me today, but there I'm I'm performing without a net tonight. And I wanted to ask you, I want to get some advice on how to do this. You 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 know you are an athlete. You're also someone who gobbles up like Pac Man any time on the clock. I'm surprised. Yeah, right. I'm surprised somehow I squeezed in. Well, I, yeah. no, you. Uh, I was originally scheduled to take his spot. I said, what? Wieners muscled me out. <laughs> But anyway, the point being is, Anthony, it's a good opportunity. Uh, what you do is uh, different parts of the day, you have to do a different program. Morning drive that Sid does is different than what I do in the afternoon, rip and read from 12 to 1. And it's different than what overnight radio is. It's more theater of the mind. It's more involved in not politics as much. People just don't want to hear that in the wee hours in the morning. You got a lot of people who are working swing shift, graveyard shift, so they're all wired up. So try to hit on subjects that are somewhat universal but somewhat challenging to people because you want to keep them awake. Worst thing in the world is if they go to sleep on you. That is a reflection on you. Well, that's never happened to you, has it? No, because I keep reminding them till the break of dawn, ain't nobody going to sleep. Did you say no? Meaning that that's that's not happened to you. Wait a second. Uh, don't don't expect Diego to be quicker to switch here. Remember, he's not even listening to the program like Rico Radabali. <laughs> Most of these guys, you know, they're they're looking at their cell phones. They, you, you know, they're doing. Rico Radabali is adjusting his Facebook, saying, you know, after the show, I'm going to find a Denny's. I'm going to get I'm a grand the, slam. I'm the, I'm the new guy here, and I seem to be more on top of what the cuts we're going to need than these guys. Are. Yes, absolutely. They're slow on the switch. Anyway, but anyway, let's 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 set this up again. You say they they no one's ever fallen asleep on you nobody nobody and when they do i so uh, it's like kill bill i'm like i got the samurai sword out and they will hate me until the ends of time because you got to stay up to the break of dawn that's the secret to my overnight broadcasting don't get guests on who bore the hell out of you who put you to sleep but on the other hand you know again not not to utter the name of the person we shall not utter but the other host of the other side of midnight some of us consider him the days the the weekday host. He sometimes has subjects 
that he'll let them breathe for a whole hour just you know, yeah, talking to him. Some of them are good. Right. But I think with Frank, he hasn't done it long enough to know that it's time to do a brish. Time to cut them off. Who the hell is this? Diego. Oh, sleeping on me, huh? I want that person banned. I want them put in a gulag, right? I want to do a purge against anybody who falls asleep in overnight right. radio. Listen. You know, I was thinking of getting to call in when I'm doing it is Doris from Rego Park. Remember Doris from oh, Rego Park? Oh, Doris. I think she passed away, actually. Yes, she did. Yeah, she she used to be on the OVA when Summers was on, and she would call in and talk about the Yankees. She had some kind of asthma thing going yeah, and, on. And you know what, Frank? Oh, the Mets. Be she was a Mets. Person. Any more discourteous to our longtime callers like Eve Frank from Astoria, who recently at a hundred and fourteenth precinct uh, meeting was there to back me up against the socialists who were booing me. Uh, saying I had no right to be in Astoria, the AOC crowd, you know, all our crazy Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And then he called up and he criticized the Gottis. And Frank Morano treated him like he was the worst caller ever. Treat your callers with respect, Anthony Weiner. Don't put on any boring guests. Well, I, I have some questions about this we should do after the break Don't here. be a wonk. <laughs> Don't give a lot of analytics. Nobody wants to hear that crap in the over hours. But, you know, entertain. This is entertainment before it's anything else. I know some of our colleagues haven't figured that out yet. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. Oh, no, I get by with a little help from my friends. Let's kick off even by lighting up. Boy. From my friends, the star of the show. Famous here in New York, WABC, Sid Rosenberg. Boy, this boy. is Sid and Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. 77 WABC. Finally, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Poor guy died of fentanyl overdose from fentanyl patches like Prince. I've had fentanyl as a painkiller. I know what a great painkiller it is, but boy, if you abuse it, as we can see in the United States today, it's like soon it's R.I.P. on your gravesite. Uh, I just want to say, though, I want to take a moment here, Anthony. Uh, Dominic Carter will be following us from 10 to 12, substituting for Brian Kilmeade. He's been killing it at night, 12 to 1. I am telling you... That show is getting so good because after doing it for a while, first at the old WABC and then for John and Margot and Chad here at Red Apple Media, he's realized, hey, I'm a radio talk show host. Right. I'm not going to be talking about what's on talk TV, playing 10,000 cuts, um, wanting, uh, wanting to use this as a side hustle. He realizes he's a talk show host uh, on radio, and he's gotten so good at it. That he's come into his own after many years. It takes a while. For me, it took three years for me to get comfortable doing talk radio. And remember, I was doing morning drive at the time. Just thrown in into it. And, hey, look, I survived the process, learned a lot. But it takes you a long time to get comfortable. Anthony, you're at that point now, a little more than a year since uh, you came on with me. Now you do your own show in the middle. 
two to three on Saturdays, and then it's left uh, versus right. I'm on with you. Another new jack on the station is Rob Astorino, former Westchester County executive. I saw him yesterday out in the streets. Uh, he's on from uh, four to five on Saturdays. But we're developing a lot of new talent here at WABC because, look, you look at people like myself, 35 years, Sid, 25 years, uh, talk radio. We're the veterans, and we've been doing it a long time. We've been fired. That's how you know you've been in this business a long time. How many times have you been fired? And with Rush Limbaugh, he was fired seven times, seven times. That gives you an idea. So you're on the right path, uh, Anthony. I want to give you a... Well, I appreciate it. I want to thank Dominic. Dominic and I did the show yesterday here, and he carried me. And this, you know, obviously getting a chance to fill in for Sid is a big opportunity for me. You have been great getting my sea legs under me on left versus right and helping me get started. Nothing but great advice. We have someone on hold who's another great talent who is who has just been amazing around here. Before we do that, let's go to Sid on Sports, sponsored by Peerless Boilers, the world's best-built boiler, the... NHL goalie caravan is coming to a halt. Yaroslav Halak is out as Igor Shosturkin's backup for the Rangers. Jonathan Quick is in. The future Hall of Famer of Milford, Connecticut, will be the backup to Shosturkin this year. And that is your Sid on Sports Report. Well, we'll give another sports report. Uh, The guy, he does the golf hour here, the most boring hour in all of radio, two to three on Sundays. He stole my hour. And that's all I hear about him golfing with Donald Trump. Wait a minute, he had the he had the former president on this past weekend in a nationally covered yeah, interview. Yeah, well, he's his caddy. I mean, every time Trump wants to go out on the links, he calls up Andrew. Hey, Andrew, uh, can you wash my balls here? That's not what he said. It's true. It's <laughs> true. Not... Uh, am I right, Andrew, or what? Andrew. So, your balls aren't worth washing. We'll there you go. There, there you go. go. Tell him. I've been listening all morning over here, Sliwa, and you're back and forth. At one point, you want to give Rudy Giuliani a state park over here, and now you're complaining all about the fireworks over here. Well, i got to tell you, you two knuckleheads, the only intelligent thing that I've heard all morning has been from James Flippin, who said a name, Jason Pierre-Paul. As a Giant fan, a diehard Giant fan, I am still scarred by the fireworks of Jason Pierre-Paul. So I say, if Rudy Giuliani did not cut those fireworks off, maybe the New York Yankees would not have won those four world championships. Maybe the Giants would not have won in 2007. Tell me you never had sparklers in your hand. Tell me that uh, that Rudy and your mother, Donna Hanover, uh, actually deprived you of a kid's rite of passage by having sparklers in your hand? At the... uh, I am taking the fifth on that. I'm taking the fifth. My attorney is recommended to take the fifth, and I choose to take the fifth. I will not incriminate myself. So you had the, you had your former boss, the former president, on this past weekend. You know, I saw other networks had picked it up. Long interview. The guy certainly looks like he's rolling to the nomination. You know, I, I got to tell you, Anthony, and to me, this is kind of the biggest juxtaposition between DeSantis and Trump that you see. I unlike many in Trump world, if you will. I think DeSantis has done a very good job down in Florida. Um, I think the real difference between the two of them is as candidates, right? You look at DeSantis, and it seems like coming out of the gate, he's made misstep after misstep, whether it was the announcement on Twitter. It seems like some of these ads that are coming out, some get some positive reaction, some get some negative. But I've sat through about four or five different speeches of DeSantis from start to finish. And it's very difficult to stay with him. 
some of these policy speeches. I think, look, I think he's very good in terms of the policies. I think he's pushing it out there in Florida. And you can see that's why people are going down to Florida. You're seeing more New Yorkers, more people from blue states moving down that way. But the issue to me is he doesn't really understand how to deliver the political speech, how to get his points out there. One of the big juxtapositions, I would say, is looking at the Reagan. Whenever DeSantis quotes Reagan, which is what he likes to do, he seems to explain the quote. And that's one of the things well, that Reagan well, did. Now, hold on a second, Andrew. Let me tell you something. Yeah. You know I was with your daddy in 88 the first time around. This is good, and this is what I wanted to get to. So and, you go ahead. And I remember this. your father in his first campaign against Dinkins, where he barely lost. Roger Ailes was his um, campaign manager. Would go on and on and on. Rudy, come on already. Over, over. He'd answer a question 15 minutes like a professor. Second time around with David Garth as his campaign manager, who had brought Lindsay and Koch to victory. He was truncated. He now was a retail politician. It takes time, Andrew. It takes time. It, it takes time, but I think it's one of these things that, as a governor who's won twice, he should be able to get his points out there in the first 45 seconds to minute of a point, and then you go through. You tell them what you're going to tell them, then you actually tell them, and then you told them what you said. So you're right. I think he needs a little time to work on this, but it does not seem like he's ready for the biggest of the big leagues, which is battling with Donald Trump. That's why I think it's going to be so fascinating whether or not Trump decides to actually debate. What do you guys think? Because when you see somebody with potentially a 30-point lead, 35-point lead in the for the nomination, you might suggest, well, you look, it might not be worth giving the other candidates that airtime. Although I do think Trump can sometimes be at his best during the debates. Look, the first debate against Biden was not his best. But then the second debate, I thought he was very good. I think some of the debates versus Clinton, he showed his charm. What do you guys think on I mean, that? But point? this is, I mean, I mean, you're talking about tactics now, but I think the American people expect as much as we think, you know, RFK Jr. and Williamson are whack jobs. One of the ways we want to see is that Joe Biden can get on a stage and make his points. The same is true on your side. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. a lot of there's a lot of B candidates. But I do think it's one of the ways you show your chops. And I want to say, you know what DeSantis reminds me of? Every year, every election cycle, we build one guy up. Last time it was Jeb Bush. And we see on paper he speaks Spanish. He's got a lot of money. He's from a, a, he's from a purple state. We build these guys up. And then it takes kind of this debate and the rough and tumble of the campaign to realize, you know, there's no there there. I think as a matter of, you know, I'm just a commentator, but I think they should have debates on both sides, even though it might be the politically um, the, the politically expedient thing to do, not have the debates. I think both sides should right. have debates. Well, you know more than anything, right? Being a great executive, being a great leader, being somebody who's you know good on the job does not necessarily mean you're good at the popularity contest, right? You have very few that actually kind of are both at that. So DeSantis seems to be somebody who is a success, successful executive, whether you agree with his policies or not. He certainly is getting a whole lot done in Florida. I obviously agree that it's been good but it doesn't seem like he's very captivating, at least not yet. Now, that is a learned skill, but it does not seem like he's going to be able to learn it in the time that he needs to to be prepared for the full gauntlet of the 2024 
campaign. What do you think, Sliwa? No. I want to hear from you. Uh, I, have you walked out of the studio, Sliwa? Are you falling asleep? No, because no, I gotta never tell fall you, asleep. Time after time, never I fall asleep. asleep uh, at 3 o'clock in the morning when I listen to you. Never to Frank Morano, but for some reason for Sliwa, I fall asleep. Yeah, well, that's because he's a wonk. You like the analytics. But anyway, <laughs> uh, in terms of DeSantis versus Trump, uh, DeSantis has an ad out there now. And he's got uh, Trump saying that he would appoint transgenders to his administration. Uh, true or false? I I haven't seen any uh, I haven't seen any evidence of that. So I, I haven't uh, I don't know where that would be coming from. I think this is probably just um, I think it's probably just DeSantis pushing out something that he knows would be you know red meat for the base. But where is the evidence of that? Where has Trump said any of that? He didn't do that in his first term. So it seems a little bit like DeSantis is kind of making it up off the off the cuff to throw some red meat out to the base, even if it may not be true. Well, it's in, it's in the ad. It's Donald Trump, the former president, speaking as uh, there's a comment about how Donald Trump said he's in favor of affirmative action. And also he he, he did answer a question in the affirmative when he was asked, would he have a transgender in one of his beauty pageants? When did he? I, I don't remember that, but I can tell you, I do know that the president was proud of the fact that if you think about it, he is the only president in the history of our country from the very first time that he walked in the White House as either president or vice president who actually was pro-gay marriage, right? Obama was not the first day he walked yep. in the White House. Good point. Same thing with Joe Biden as vice president. President Trump is the only one throughout his entire term as president or vice president, who was pro-gay. Let me, let me trump you. Hold on a second, Andrew. Let me trump you and Anthony here. When your mentor was uh, uh, in favor of uh, the Defense of Marriage Act, Chuck Schumer, I performed the first gay marriage in all of New York State in 1976 in the very projects that Bernard McGurk uh, was born and raised in, the Monroe Housing Projects in the Community Room, my two closers, Ralphie and Vinny, wanted to get married, and I officiated. 1976, when nobody was in favor of it, including gays who said, and lesbians who said, oh, we, we should be happy with domestic partnership because we don't want to rock the boat. So take that, Andrew Giuliani. <laughs> well, you know, Sliwa, I can't hold a candle to you when it comes to that and so many other, so many other things right there. But I heard just the other day you actually were on Trump's golf course there at the event for George Habernack, who we know is going to be in the second round here with Christy Marmorado in the Bronx City Council District over there. And I heard you were slicing the ball right. You were hooking the ball left. I don't know. To me, it seems like you hook the ball, you hook the ball a little too far left. Well, sometimes. I, I was in but the I clubhouse. It's a little too far right. It's right <laughs> in Throg's neck. I walk in the clubhouse and whose picture is on the wall as a two time champion at that course it's beautiful picture. Andrew Giuliani. By the way, I walked a little bit of the course before the election results came in. I must uh, hand the Trump organization, family, whoever designed that magnificent course. And then I'm looking off in the distance, and fireworks are going off beyond the Throgs Neck Bridge. It was Vicky Palladino who was having the fireworks at yeah. Fort Totten. So even though it's neck and neck because it's ranked choice voting now that kicks in, I gotta tell you, that's a hell of a golf course and a hell of a fireworks demonstration that uh, Vicky Palladino and her crew put on. Well, Curtis, a couple things about that golf course. First, it actually was being considered 
for a U.S. Open before Trump announced his political ambitions because they thought something in New York City would be a great draw. It's got beautiful views. But I heard you mentioning in the last hour the amphibious landings that Lou Amarillo was drawing up for Howard Beach. I think they actually might have been considering for Ferry Point Park at one point as well because of some of the drug deals <laughs> that were going on there. So, well, let know. me just say, Andrew, we, we have to go to a break, but I, we shouldn't have a conversation with golf without me saying this. You know, to be supporting that live golf when the Saudis, 11 to 13 homicide bombers on 9-11 were Saudis. They're still um, um, holding off the families of the 9-11 families from getting the information from the Saudis. We can't let the Saudis golf golf wash their reputations this way. Well, I think that's also why the PGA Tour right now is taking so much heat, because the PGA Tour rolled out these 9-11 families for the last year, year and a half, talking about how bad what Live Golf was doing and anybody associated with them. And then just a few weeks ago, the PGA Tour turns right back around and does a deal with those Saudis. So they seem very hypocritical in all this, and it's uh, it's going to be very interesting. It was one of the questions I posed to President Trump because he has been somebody who's talked about that. He's hosted Live Golf events, um, and it's fascinating to see that he thinks that this is something that still may not go through. So we'll see here well, in the future. Let me of the tell golf you, Andrew, I want to salute your dad because in the year or two that I was playing golf at Dyker Heights, 18-hole golf course right there in Brooklyn, this, there would always be one hole that would be separated with yellow police tape because some Colombo guy had gotten whacked. So you can only play 17 holes. As a result of your daddy uh, dealing with the organized crime problem and street crime, Duffers at Dyker Heights could now play the full 18 holes of golf that they were entitled to. And by the way, well, would you like to caddy for me there at Dyker <laughs> Heights, uh, Andrew? Well, you take so many strokes, it'd be a 10-hour round. I don't have enough sunscreen to be able to put on to watch you hook the ball as far left as you do. So, no. I'm just glad that somebody's carrying you this morning on the air. Andrew Giuliani, the host of the Andrew Giuliani Show, Sundays at 4. Is that right, Andrew? No, 2, two to 3. 2 to 3, 2 right? o'clock. 2 o'clock. Tune in. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. Entertaining and informative. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. About time, an American band, American patriotic pride. You, 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 Diego, you have no idea who this is, right? You have no idea. <laughs> Listen up, 77 WABC listeners. ARP of New York is sending you to see the Staten Island Ferry Hawks, owned by our very own John Katsimatidis. That's right. Get ready to enjoy an unforgettable day at the ballpark because we have a pair of tickets to give away for the July 23rd Staten Island Ferry Hawks games when they take on the Lexington Counterclocks. That can't be the name. The seventh caller. Be the seventh caller right now at 800-848-9222. And a pair of tickets are yours. That's 800-848-WABC. Be the seventh caller right now. And you can take this pair of tickets for the July 23rd game. Learn how you can volunteer with AARP of New York. Visit aarp.org slash volunteer with AARP New York. Good luck to all of you. Now remember, it all started on Lexington and Concord, where the uh, ragtag group of Patriots took on the Redcoats, got slaughtered at both Lexington and Concord, eventually Bunker Hill. Remember, don't shoot until you see the whites of their eyes. 
things were looking very perilous for America back then. We weren't even America yet. George Washington getting chased out of uh, yeah. Brooklyn. Uh, luckily, the fog uh, hung over us. I mean, people forget, for all the talk about what a great general he was, he was getting his butt kicked in the Battle of Brooklyn. He was getting chased all over the place, had to eventually go to New Jersey to get out of the way. I mean, and if you hear if, if you hear Aaron Burr tell it, he was not a great general. But, um, but yes, the, the fog helped us. Well, and not only that, the greatest armada ever put together, equal to the Spanish armada, was collected by the British. It was mostly Hessians and mercenaries, and they were off the south shore of Staten Island. And the Americans, meaning George Washington and his troops, had no idea until they saw them getting their longboats out, ready to cross over through what is now the Straits of Arizona to Brooklyn, and they just saw them keep coming. Now, lucky they were the Hessians and mercenaries because, you know, they weren't doing it for patriotic pride. They were doing it specifically because their paymaster was uh, King George III. But, boy, this is what the holiday is all about. And today is the... Again, the annual longest-running 4th of July parade in the nation, Travis on Staten Island. I go there every year with the Guardian Angels because many of the Guardian Angels that I have in New York City have never grown up understanding what a 4th of July old-fashioned parade is like. And in Travis, you start, you go through the neighborhood. You're not on the main right. street long. You go through the neighborhood. And it goes. It's a long parade. Yeah, right? people are on both sides. They have out their lawn chairs. They have the flags out. It is incredibly patriotic. It's the, one of the few places where Democrats and Republicans get together uh, because there are actually more registered Democrats on Staten Island than there are Republicans. It's just that many of them are Reagan, Giuliani Democrats. I, I, if you, if, if you want to be at one place today, don't let weather forecasts put you off that it might rain. You want to be at Travis. The event starts at 12. They have a few speeches and then they have the parade and it is a good old fashioned 4th really of is. July parade. It really is. It's, it's got a very kind of suburban, middle America kind of feel to it right here in the five boroughs. And you know what happened last year? This was coming on the heels of Andrew having lost in the Republican primary to Lee Zeldin, along with Rob Astorino and Harry Wilson. And so on the last days of the campaign, we didn't know this, but Rudy was not feeling well. You could see he was schwitzing, he short of breath, and he was going all over the state for his son. He was campaigning like morning, noon, and night. Then he was like at that shop right in the South Shore of Staten Island when that employee came up, Smacked him on the back, and then, you know, he gets arrested. And Eric Adams intervenes. He calls up McMahon, the DA, the Democratic DA of Staten Island, and they have two conversations. He wanted Rudy arrested for filing a false police report. Ironically, two days later, Rudy had to go in and get two stents put in because he was in bad shape. But the fact is that the mayor decided to make this personal. So I go up to McMahon at the uh, Travis 4th of July parade, and I look at him straight up. You know, his hair is white. It got yeah, yeah. whiter after what I said. I said, McMahon, if you file charges against Rudy Giuliani, I will convince Rudy to come out here and live and run against you. And you know this is Giuliani land. I got to tell you, 
he just his entire complexion went super white. Well, I you know, look, there's a cooperation that goes on between Democrats and Republicans out there. I think McMahon does not even have a general election this year no, in his in his no, race. No, the Republicans said with crime up 250 percent. The Republicans, you scratch my belly, I scratch his, didn't even run a candidate against McMahon. And Camelia Hanks, who wants less cops, less prisons. She's the city councilwoman on the North Shore. You know, they didn't run a candidate against her. But I got a candidate, Rusalan Shamal, who's running on his Staten Island Safe Streets uh, line, a third-party line. I'll be talking about it more in the weeks to come. It's an all-American Ford. Friends in the morning. Entertaining and informative. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. But anyway, let us forge on. Remember, Dominic Carter coming on with live and local programming to follow us. And then it's my rip and read from 12 to 1. But you see, that's the big difference now at WABC. The old WABC, all weekend long, all you had were infomercials. You might as well have just tuned off WABC on Friday night and then come back to it Monday morning. No longer. You got a great lineup of entertainment and talk all weekend long. Vinny Madunio, by the way, Vinny Madunio will be at that Travis uh, Fourth of July parade with his uncle. Will Frank Morano uh, decide to show up? He always says he will, and almost inevitably he never does. But the point is, is that WABC is now twenty four seven, three six five. Holidays, there's no such thing as best of because that was always worst of. Just to give you an idea, when Imus was the morning guy. He would take eight weeks off, and he would demand that his entire team, which included Bernard McGurk and uh, Sid Rosenberg and everyone else, not work also, that they be off. And you would walk in, and all you had was Gnome Laden doing the news, and you had Gunsman introing the best of, which was the worst of, I miss, sometimes they play the same thing, like two, three days. It was horrible. He was purposefully destroying this thing of ours because he didn't want anyone else to substitute because people might say, hey, that person's not too bad. We still have that on WABC with some of the syndicated programs. You know, they get substitutes who I wouldn't put on on a junior high school radio program. We should pull them, and we do sometimes, and put some of us on. But now... You don't have this anywhere else in the country where you have live and local programming on holidays. You don't have best of, uh, very rarely, because it's really worst of. If I heard it the first time, why the hell do I want to listen to it a second time? And it's lazy radio. And you have full crews in here, even on the holidays, because that is the commitment that John and Margo and Chad Lopez of Red Apple Media have made to all many listeners. That's why we're number one. We, we were below... 
WFUV, Florida radio station, which yeah. is a great station. It's produced a lot of great talent. Michael K., we can go right on down the line. In the ratings, we were below WFUV with Cumulus at the old WABC. Now, number one, and in fact, Sid is number one in the nation in the mornings, and the rest of the lineup is number one in a lot of their slots. Well, you, you and Frank are number one in the overnights by a wide margin, right? No, I'm ahead of Frank. Let, oh, let's get that oh, straight. Boy. I'm ahead of Frank. Uh, you know, please. He's he's doing good. But he's no Curtis Lee, man. Six hours to the break of dawn, man. Check out this stream. All you got to do is ask John Katsimatidis. He looks at this stream. He goes, oh, man. And when the stream ain't up, I change gears. You change just, gears. Just this morning in his listener mail, someone asked why it is that you – Oh, always trying to make Frank look like a chump. And what does he say? He says he, Frank, finds you very, he's nothing of nice things to say about you. Yeah. Hey, Frank Morano, get your shine box. You got a long ways to go. Look, I've been doing this 35 years. When I came back off the campaign, right, uh, John was kind enough to sign me to a no-cut contract for like 30 years. He said, the first thing you got to do, you got to do me a favor, whack this guy Frankie Russo. I said, no problem. He goes, you know, he's got some of his fans. We, I was on like two two overnights, right? Nobody remembers that guy. He's a person of no consequence. I think he's talking to himself in a park now. <laughs> and then whatever they ask me to do, I do it because I'm grateful. People don't understand. They lend you this microphone before you start your shift. They could take it away. It's not ours. And this is not work. And by the way, not for nothing. And, you know, someone who's just been called up from the minor league for a couple of shifts here, you're always very good about kind of mentoring the guys like me that are coming up. You don't see us as a challenge now. You don't want to get between you and an open slot on the schedule. I mean, no, as I tell, and I tell everybody, you're going to give up your slot, give up five minutes, I'm going to be like a Pac-Man and eat up that time because this is precious. This is important. This is a gift. This is the most intimate form of communication everybody that has ever here, been devised. Everybody here is Wally Pip and you're Lou Gehrig. Damn right. <laughs> you give it up, you may never get it back. And that's the way it's got to be. Because I remember an era where people were taking vacation after vacation. They were destroying this thing of ours. And then they didn't want to do it in the studio. Oh, I want to do it from my, my Bastille. I want to do it from my bunker. I want to do it from my McMansion. You don't do good radio when you're at home. With all the distractions, you're not dealing with common people. You want to do good talk radio, get your ass into the studio. This way, like you came in on your city bike, I came in on the subway. We're dealing with real people. I don't know how real Rick, uh, Rich Radabali is. Have you seen those shorts? Well, he's like a cadaver in formaldehyde. He goes back as long in WABC as I do. But the point is, real people with real problems. I have listened to the best. And the moment they started letting them do their broadcasts from home, they were diminished. Nowhere near as good as when they had to be in the studio. I always say, this is a gift. Get your ass into the studio and do your freaking job. You're not working when you're at home, other than if it's an emergency situation. That's not work. So I've said my my say when it comes to talk radio. I think I've earned that after 35 years. But yesterday... Uh, you were uh, jostling a little bit with Dominic Carter. And then when I came on at 7.05, I said, look, Anthony, it may well be different crimes, different times, different places in the five boroughs are up, they're down, it's better, it's not. 
the one crime that sticks out is shoplifting. Right. You can't escape it. And, you know, we talk about, you know, the big uh, consumer chain stores like Dwayne Reed, Rite Aid. Uh, we talk about Walgreens, CVS. I'm in the neighborhoods. Man, you go to bodegas now, they got everything chained up from the liquid tide to the refrigerated drinks. You got to ask the guy behind the counter at the bodega. Could you please open it up? I want to get uh, like a Coca-Cola. Plus, or a these guys, they all have their bodega cats like they always did. But yeah. now they got to the bodega nunchucks and the bodega baseball bat. You have to. They... If you don't, you, you, they're like locusts through the cornfield. The shoplifters come in because they know they can do it and get away with it with impunity. And there are no consequences. And now one of your own, Jeffrey Dinowitz up from Riverdale, has acknowledged, you know, as Democrats, we let this go too far, this shoplifting, and now we got to somehow get it back. Well, you know what's frustrating about this is that, you know, we were sitting here after the midterm elections of 2022 saying, boy, that was a close call. The D- Democrats almost lost this campaign, almost lost this race to Governor Zeldin, almost won based on crime. They immediately went into a special session up in Albany and did bupkis. They didn't do nearly as much on bail reform as they, as a lot of people wanted them to do. And then this was the kind of thing you would think, even in the most, in the most liberal of districts, this is a big problem. This is a problem in, like you said, in bodegas and the bigger places. And it's just something that, that regular voters see. And now they're saying, okay, we should have done more. Hopefully that message gets out. Well, I think probably the best moment. Was when Al, some shady sharp, then who's contracted to uh, MSNBC, he joins Coffee Joe and Mika on a regular basis in the morning. Looked into the camera lens and talked to his uh, friend Eric Adams. Remember, Eric Adams signed on uh, to the original uh, paperwork for the National Action Network. It's nonprofit status, it's constitution, it's bylaws. Along with Alvin Bragg, they were like two disciples of the Nation uh, National Action Network. He looks into the camera lens and he goes, Eric, I went to a Dwayne Reed. I just wanted toothpaste. And I had to wait for somebody to sort of queue up to open up a cabinet to give me toothpaste. Eric, this is bad. And it's only gotten worse. I mean, now you walk into retail establishments, jewelry, jewelry shops that are getting hit. They won't put any jewelry in the window. You know, it used to be you'd window shop. That's how they'd sell jewelry. You'd be with your girlfriend or your wife. And say, hey, you see anything you like? No, they pull it all out, smashing grabs. It is completely off the hook. And like I said, it used to be that merchants had their own way of dealing with violators. They had a bat behind the counter. Even our own John Katsimatidis talks about when he was uh, making his way up retail, opening his first supermarkets. He had a Rocky Calavito Louisville Slugger. Yeah. And he also, he had a permit to carry a gun. And he would use it if he had to. But we're now getting back to a time where if you call 911, the cops don't arrive. If they do get arrested, they're back on out. You're leading people to the point where they're just going to say, it's not worth it. I'm just going to close my shop and leave. Every drug wave has its version of the low-end crime. That people complain about. I remember when crack was the thing, broken car windows. They used to steal the wiring from lampposts, the copper wiring, and sell that. Anything that gets you a few bucks. And now the fentanyl crisis with the with the the the, the super low cost, small amount fentanyl. So guys are stealing. But there is a little sense, you know, I, um, the supermarkets 
and the drugstores, they all have security guys, but the security guys don't actually do anything except try to be a deterrent. Well, they're, they're told don't right. intervene. Right. I, now, the, the, the criminals know that. They know that the security officers have been told do not do a well, physical well, intervention. What, what was your idea? Just give them a bag of goodies at the front door so they don't come all the way yeah, in? No, 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 no. What, what you do is, uh, particularly in Alvin Bragg land here, just have your Alvin Bragg swag bag, fill it up. Just say, hey, look, do me a favor. Don't shoot. Don't loot. We'll give you an Alvin Bragg uh, bag, uh, uh, Bragg spa- uh, uh, a swag bag, like, you know, the Kardashians get whenever they go to any parties. Uh, the rich and the wealthy get whenever they go to any premieres or any nightclubs. You know, there's the swag bags. Just give them an Alvin Bragg swag bag with a few little goodies, and maybe they'll be satisfied enough they won't come back. And then you have these injection centers in which you can come and safely be injected by a nurse ratchet. And I get it. I first saw him up in Vancouver, British Columbia, patrolling with the Guardian Angels. You don't want people to get HIV AIDS, uh, transmission through. You don't have the the, the, the the staff there is not doing the injection. They're just supervising no, no. sure everything is they're, they're actually getting the vein. They're making sure it's clean. They're making sure you're not going to get hepatitis C, a clean needle. They, they help you because a lot of junkies, they're, they're at the point. They can't even do it. The and these places do, and they have Narcam on the place. They, they do save lives. Right. So, but then again, where do they get the drugs to inject? Now you have them in Harlem, you have them in Washington Heights. They're not leaving the neighborhood. They're roaming through the neighborhood. They're going to steal anything they can get their hands on to get the money to buy the drugs. And all the drug dealers are like vendors at City Field and Yankee Stadium waiting outside the injection centers. Look, if you're going to do that, just give them the drugs for free. Because all you're doing is destroying those neighborhoods. Well, I mean, look, the problem, it, it, you don't have to be near a drug injection site to be having this problem. You have these zombies all over the place that are clearly under the influence. We have a huge drug problem in our country, and that is probably the straw that's stirring the, 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 the crime that's going on in the shoplifting. These are not, these are not crime syndicates. These are individuals who are buying stuff, selling it on the street so they can, they can shoot up. Although, there are the, um, like in the old sooks, the Arab sooks, uh, people would go in there and steal, and then they would have a wholesaler who would take the products and then resell it. You have some of that going on. You have on. some of that, yeah. Now, but it's not uh, the same level. It's basically, uh, we'll put it on eBay, we'll throw it up, we'll sell it, we'll put it on the street, you know, we'll go in the subway. You go up to 125th, 116th, 110 on the uh, 2, 3, and 5, and, and the 2 and 3 train. And they sell it right on the platform. It's like you go from person to person. Where'd you get that? None of your B.I.B. business. You want to buy it or don't you want to buy it? And then meantime, behind you, they're shooting up. They're smoking crack. It's whack. Anyway, up next, it's 4th of July. They're going to have the fireworks, Macy's, uh, over the East River. Spare me. Spare me. I, well, we got to talk a little bit about that because just like when the ball drops uh, in Times Square, do you really want to go out there and jostle to watch the fireworks? Because you got to stand around for hours. Hours. Amateur hour. Hours. You can't do anything. You can't go to the bathroom if you have to. And yet people, they're like lemmings. I got to see the fireworks. People like Diego, oh, I'll backpack, I'll go there for hours and stand there and you can't move. And it's like, why? Why? When you can watch it right on TV, right? But then again, you miss the ambiance, don't you? Exclusively here, 
We're live and local. There's no best of because that's only worst of. Anthony Weiner, yours truly, Curtis Lewa. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. Entertaining and informative. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again. With just my children and my wife I thank my lucky stars To be living here today Cause the flag still stands for freedom And they can't take that away And I'm proud to be an American Where at least I know I'm free And I won't forget the men who died, who gave that right to me, and I gladly stand up next to you and defend her still today, cause there ain't no doubt I love this land, God bless the USA. He's going to get a few shekels for this song being played today over and over again, huh? Well, you know something, he came in studio uh, did a performance for us in our video broadcast uh, room for all the crew, but John and Margot and Chad and everyone else here, and he did it on air with uh, Sid Rosenberg. And I had a good conversation with him afterwards, Lee Greenwood. He's like in his 80s. Oh, really? Yeah, he's kicking it. I'm pretty wow. sure, unless I was wrong on that. But a lot of our artists now are up in their 80s, and they're still touring. This week was unheard of when we were kids. You know, it's sort I mean, of Paul like, McCartney just turned 81. Right, 55, and that was pretty much it. You know, the end of their touring. Or now they go into their 80s, even their 90s. And so they keep all these old classics alive. But the one classic is the annual Macy's 4th of July fireworks extravaganza. There's two things that Macy's is synonymous uh, with. Thanksgiving Day Parade. And the 4th of July festivities. I've been there once or twice. And I got to tell you, I don't know why people go because you're queued up for a long time. You can't move. You can't go anywhere. You can't go to the bathroom. You just stand there for hours. I said, why? Why? It's like a half hour, maybe 20 minutes, a half hour. It's beautiful, but it's fine. It's for, by the way, on a day like today with a little bit of cloud in the sky, that cuts into it. I just think it's, I mean, I look, God bless America. I don't mind it. I would much rather see fireworks at some neighborhood festival or some neighborhood parade. That's, you know, you're well, sitting there on a, you this know. Past, on, uh, this past Thursday, Astoria had its annual fireworks uh, extravaganza in Astoria Park. You see the East River. You see Manhattan in the yeah. distance. Uh, I was there with the Guardian Angels, our candidate running for city council, Kelly Klingman, against Tiffany Caban, the mini-me of AOC. By the way, Tiffany was at a bar drinking, not at the fireworks. I, I couldn't get that. And AOC, she wasn't there. That's her congressional district. I think some of these socialists, they would probably throw a few flags on the grill if they had it their way. They're not the most patriotic people in the world, but it brings people together. I, and I don't – but this, but this thing – with the big fireworks on the East River, you know, all these bicycle racks are already set up by the cops, filtering people where they're going to go. A lot of honking because people try to drive too far. To me, 
look, I if if you are one of the the people that 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 live in those projects on the East River on the Manhattan side, even going on the promenade on the Brooklyn side is not such a great, not such great shakes. People are jammed in there. They're fighting for for a, a postage stamp size piece of real estate. Maybe I'm a curmudgeon, but um, you know, I'm uh, this this is not my cup of well, tea. Well, you know, why don't you come on out to Howard Beach at nine thirty? All the Roman candles are lined up in New Howard Beach. Lou Anamone never got permission from Rudy Giuliani when he was mayor to do an amphibious assault to catch them as they were setting hey, I'm up. I'm probably going to be sound asleep. I got to figure out how to how to budget my sleep to do a, a 1 a.m. to 5 a.m. thing. You got it. You got it. Substituting for that gold brick, uh, Frank Morano. <laughs> it's like forever taking vacations, days off. Uh, you don't want to miss it. It's Dominic Carter up next. This is a new dynamic duo here at WABC. They've made their bones. They've earned their stripes. Dominic, who's been doing talk radio longer, he was with yep. us at the old WABC. And then Anthony Weiner, who's been at it now more than a year. Although, you did talk radio with me, substituting Back for Ron Kuby. that's right. Right? And you were a prolific listener of not only talk radio politics, but talk radio sports like my husband-in-law, David Patterson, who does talk radio. See, if you grow up listening, it's a hell of a lot easier to do talk radio. But if you never listen to talk radio, like some of our colleagues, especially our station, then you do talk TV on the radio, which, guess what, does not work. Happy birthday, God bless America. America.